Welcome to Hooplecast. I am your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts. Carol. Matt. And Mel. <laughs> <laughs> and we are just a bunch of hoopleheads. <laughs> bunch of confused hoopleheads. <laughs> do we have a guest this we, week? We do have a guest, thank you for asking, Carol. Yeah, she's making her return appearance to the podcast. I won't tell, I won't say what they call her, because last time she was embarrassed. But I call her the mother of Intercast. Her name is Stephanie. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, hey, Stephanie. Steph. Hello. Hey, Steph. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us, Steph. Yeah, I'm so excited. Are you still enjoying uh, the show, uh, Deadwood? Yes, uh, the parts I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I know. There was a lot of that this episode. What's getting you, the language or just the plot lines? Or? It's, uh, like... Yankton. Anytime there's a scene about talking about Yankton, I'm just, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> it, it seems it, that town name does sound like it should be kind of some euphemism for something, but it's just the name of the town that. Well, you know what they do in Yankton, them. don't you? Yeah, they do it all. Yeah. They yank it. They yank yeah. it out. Um, <laughs> now, don't make me sorry I said that, guys. <laughs> So for Reader's Theater this uh, time, I didn't have anything that was very episode appropriate, so I'm dipping into my reserve file, and I've got these random musings from Robin, and I thought, well, Stephanie and Robin, they co-host the Redemption cast, the Angel intro cast, so this would be appropriate if we played Robins today. And so. also iZombie. And iZombie. Yeah, when's that coming back? Uh, Tuesday. That's oh. Or possibly last Tuesday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whenever really this know. is released. Oh, okay. So the seventh is, it the, is that the seventh? Uh, no, today is the what's today? Today is the fourth, third. Uh huh. So yeah, the sixth, fifth, fifth, sixth, sixth okay. Tuesday. Sixth. Okay. I, you know, I still haven't watched the finale to iZombie or the finale to Daredevil. I when it comes to uh, season finales, sometimes I don't watch them because I don't want to live with the cliffhanger for a year. So I hold off on that episode until, like, right before the shows come back. But now the penultimate wow. episode is a cliffhanger. For which? For you. Oh. Now, oh. You're hanging, now you're hanging on whatever happened in the But the not much ever stuff. really happens in the penultimate <laughs> episode. Sometimes it does. Sometimes Unless, there's no cliffhanger in a season finale as well. Unless you're Game of Thrones and then episode nine's your big one, but... Yeah. I, I've gotten to the point where some of the cable shows that are, like, some of them are 10 episodes, and some of them are 12, and some of them are 8. I'm never quite sure when they're going to end, and I think it was um, Mr. Robot. It, w it turned out to be the second-to-last episode and of the season, and I thought it was the last episode. So I was like, oh, okay, that, you know, interesting ending. Then I found out, no, no, there's another one. So. Yeah, because they skipped a week because of a shooting. Right. Yep. Right, I'm going to play Robin's, Robin's Reader's Theater Random Musings from 1878 and 1882. Recorded this way back then? <laughs> <laughs> okay, smart, Matt. <laughs> Robin's a vampire. <laughs> the following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times, April 25th, 1878 and April 20th, 1882. Our school begins next Tuesday. The day is set for a public and competitive examination of teachers. How is that? 
It looks as though the teacher was first selected and examined afterwards. Mr. Dolph Edwards at the Central School is the coming teacher for our school. Don't this block out? Others who would like to show their learning and get the situation. <laughs> Eastern parties returned from Bear Butte's Silver Camp yesterday, highly pleased with the lay cut. They have been looking around the camp in view of erecting leaching works similar to those that have been established in many parts of Utah. We can see no reason why these works could not be erected in this camp. And if a success... The dollar of our daddies will be as plenty in the hills as the festive grasshopper is in Nebraska. The Telegraph yesterday failed to furnish the Times' usual specials from Red Cloud and Hat Creek of passengers to arrive. Hence, the pioneers' hands are clean for at least one day of stealing. Tramps are using the open lobby of our post office for a sleeping apartment. <laughs> Economy is an income. Did you ever think of that? <laughs> oh, recent frequent rains have brightened up the landscapes very nicely in the foothills. This guy drunk. The youngsters are afflicted with the stilts craze just at present. It stalks around on poles all the way from one to four feet above ground. They take particular delight in wading through the mud. The deeper the better. Occasionally, one loses his balance and gets off the perch, rather sudden for comfort, but it seems to act as an encouragement to others to wade all the deeper. For the benefit of the Tribune, we will state the fever is not catching. <laughs> Last night was an often for meetings. The dampness in the air must have also acted as a damper on mankind, judging from the way everybody turned off. During a lull in business yesterday afternoon, John Gaston raked in the nickels by carrying pedestrians across Main Street opposite his office. He did quite a little business. Zips for boots and shoes! <laughs> the recent rain and snowstorm was of 25 hours duration. The amount of water which fell was 6 inches. The storm before furnished 1.52 inches of water, making a total of 3.08 inches of water fallen. Zips for boots and shoes! C.C. <laughs> <laughs> Filer, against whom several judgments were rendered in the district court, took occasion to skip out about some time between Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. His absence would not be felt so severely had he not taken along several head of horses on which claims are resting. Deputy Sheriff Bell was making preparations to go after him last night. Miss Ann Muir of Golden Gate has our thanks for some excellent music rendered via telephone last night. <laughs> Such treats are enough to almost cause us to forget to cuss the printer and upset our paste pot in the ecstasies of our delights. Wow. For the benefit of other accommodating ladies owning pianos, we will here announce that we remain in the office until 2 or 3 o'clock a.m. Good looks, not absolutely requisite. Oh, good grief. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Podcast listeners, we read the Reader's Theater along as as it plays in... I could have sworn it said that he, this guy was making money carrying pedophiles across the street. <laughs> <laughs>
Help me escape. They're after me. <laughs> uh, and the title of one of these was Stilts Craze Afflicting Youngsters. They love mud. No! <laughs> That doesn't make sense. It's just like all these random little mini articles just just gives me such a weird portrait of Deadwood. I feel like the person writing all these articles was probably high on acid. Yeah. Because it's just oh, randomly, like, you know, and people ki- on stills, people getting carried. If the kids love mud, why would they be on stills? Exactly. Like, farther makes, away from the mud. It makes no sense. Well, also, did anybody notice that... Am I the only one that thought that Inches of Rain just simple addition didn't make any sense at all it said i didn't didn't keep the amount of water which fell was six inches the storm before finished 1.52 inches of water (laughs) making a total of 3.08 inches of water six plus one equals three everyone knows that Six plus one and a half equals three uh maybe they mean that there's three inches of water in the thoroughfare and some of it's sort of no, been it absorbed. No, it's three inches of water fallen. Oh, that's right. Huh. I don't know. That's a li- <laughs> that is strange. I don't know. I'm looking at that and I'm like, huh? What? But then zip, zips, for zips boots for and boots and shoes. <laughs> that just that you know that made it all. That's that guy's particular form of Tourette's. <laughs> it's like a little ad within the music right. that it just repeats. And I figured. Yeah, it's a little kooky. On uh, late cable TV, every so often, you know, they'll have the same commercial like two or even three times in a row. Just, you know. That's a bad commercial, though. I have no idea who's selling the Zips. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would think it's Zips is the store. Yeah, Zips is the Zips is the place oh, I, for the I boots thought, and the shoes. Go there. Yeah. Now, oh, I, go thought, to Zips I thought it was slang for zippers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or it could have been a man. I don't I don't think zip had zippers been invented at this point. I'm not sure. Probably not. I'm trying to remember when zippers were invented. But should the guy that last owned week. the store, but should the guy that owned the store was Zip Zipperson? Yes. That's yes. it. I want him to be called that. <laughs> My friends call me Jim. <laughs> 1851 was a patent for the automatic continuous clothing closure. I think it's a Canadian invention, I believe. Or at least invented by a Canadian, maybe living in the States. Maybe. <laughs> Which seems to happen a lot. Mm. But the term zipper did not uh, come into uh, use until 1923 from the B.F. Goodrich Company, so... They would not have called it zippers, even if it had existed back back then. Oh. What would they have called it? Magic. They would have called it the automatic continuous clothing closure. Oh, okay. We need a better word for that. <laughs> or a class blocker. I just... Oh. There was also, according to this, was also known as a clasp blocker. I like how some of these some of these really don't make a lot of sense to us now. I don't know if they did back then, but others who would like to show their learning and get the situation. What? Yeah, why what? is he huh? like, what? <laughs> get the situation? Yeah, why why do they say learning and and uh... often they're trying to be funny. Uh I sent another one another article to someone and I think the word was cigars, but it's spelled cigars cuz <laughs> cigars. Uh, funny. Last night was an often. Often, yeah, yeah. Why do they? Why do they write it out? Are the they way trying people... to talk in the slang? Yeah, exactly. They write like people talk. 
Yeah, that's yeah. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> they, well, go back in time and tell them that. I will. <laughs> Borrow Robin's time machine and go back and tell them that. <laughs> This is episode 18, Something Very Expensive, written and directed by Steve Schill, original air date, April 10th, 2005. It is day. Doc says Al is much improved, a miracle, ready to meet the world. Johnny has a big smile on his face. He is elated. So is, is this the very next day? Or no? I think so. Okay. He is getting better pretty quick. You know, usually we don't mention uh, quotes and stuff, mm-hmm. but right after this scene when they, I mean, this was, if they wanted to announce, obviously they did want to announce what was going on with the series it, when they said, this phase is almost over even as another one begins and the stagecoach comes up and I was like, okay, if you want your audience to know exactly where we are in the series. Huh? Ah, a sort of meta commentary on the series. Yeah. And, and you know what? We're, we'll, I'll skip ahead just a sec, but there's this scene where Sai is trying to explain to Khan and Leon about Merrick being a referee in, in a prize fight. And he's, and then they, and the guys go, what do you, what does that mean? We could say that, but what does it mean? And he's like, I don't even know. Sai says, yeah. I don't even know what it means. Is that a commentary on the fact that perhaps audiences are a little lost sometimes in the dialogue? <laughs> yeah, I guess though, you know, I, at the time, I was wondering about that, but I mean, it's obvious that Side does know what it means. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that actually struck me as kind of interesting—the way you know he's just throwing it off with, "Oh, I don't know what it means either." Right. The way people talk, like even a hundred years ago, is like it's pretty different from how we talk now. And I, I'm just like wondering how far back one of us could time travel and still be able to understand English. Hmm. We could probably understand English. What we would, we would probably just be constantly making faux pas, insulting people, using words that haven't been invented yet, or or using words that meant something different at the time because words words change their meaning so quickly. Mm. Um, words that meant something, um, even you know, in our grandparents time uh means something totally different now much mm-hmm. less a couple hundred years ago and likewise now that the internet's around and everybody's much more connected i wonder how like is our language going to continue to evolve or is it going to stagnate now now that no, we're it's all continue to evolve yeah it's because if you look at it um internet slang and things like that are are changing changing uh the language quickly it will become probably more homogenous mm. that's what's been happening ever since um mass communication you know like 
um, accents are becoming less and less um, distinctive um, as we just become more homogenized that way. And uh, regionalisms are becoming a little more homogenized. We've still got them. We always will. Sai wonders how much longer he needs to go against logic by buying these claims. Wolcott says this phase is nearly over. Another phase begins. A wagon of Sai's new employees rolls in. Yeah. Alma, with Ellsworth as her second, proposes she open a bank in Deadwood with Saul as chief officer. Saul attempts to decline, but she says, think of the good of the camp. Blah! <laughs> she ruins a bowl. <laughs> so the the news is going to spread now. Oh, yeah. That she's ruining bowls and pitchers? Yes. <laughs> Everybody hide your uh, your kitchenware. <laughs> well, not everybody seems to be catching on that she's pregnant. Like, Well, admittedly, like there were only two people in the room, and both of those people are pretty, uh, are pretty much in with her but you mean on her on her side on her side yeah seth obviously knows by the end of the episode i thought it was strange that saul knew i mean if i, if I saw if i saw a woman throw up my first thought would not be oh she's pregnant it would be oh she's sick she probably has food poisoning <laughs> especially that then at that restaurant and that food. They know they're on TV, though. And oh. anytime anybody throws up on TV, they are pregnant. Mm. That's true. Story. Well, also, I mean, in in those days, a lot of people had a lot of children. So even if Saul, even though Saul isn't married or anything, he probably has been, it's unlikely that he's the youngest child. And even if he is the youngest child, he most likely has... Sisters and brothers have already had kids. And, you know, you end up seeing a lot of pregnant women back in those days. And as uh, Trixie said later, you know, she's pale, she's, you know, this, she's that. She's still functioning, but she's throwing up. A lot of pregnant women, a lot of ruined pitchers. <laughs> So I didn't think it was it was too weird for them to figure it out. Ruined pitchers and now ruined bowls as well. <laughs> it's a plague. In those days, I still think it took a whole lot more to ruin a pitcher. <laughs> Just hide them from Richardson. He's... <laughs> I was not sorry to see him not there this time. Oh, Richardson. I'm going to build an Alma out of oh, pictures of Alma vomit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh. He makes a little Alma mold. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he bakes it. <laughs> oh, no. I wasn't as creeped out by Richardson as you guys were, because there, what other ladies are in the camp? Mm. She's just, she's special. Yeah, I I wasn't creeped out by the fact that he was taken by her. I was just creeped out by the way he was expressing it. <laughs> I think he's adorable. Okay. <laughs> Eb called him a beloved household pet, and I can yeah. totally see that. I, he's he seems neutered. He doesn't seem like a man to me, more like a mascot. Yeah. Which is which is mean. He is like a beloved dog that follows you around. Yeah. And you know, like the dog kind of gets in trouble and does stupid stuff, and you scold it. 
but it's still so, you know. Yeah, he's basically Pluto to EB's Mickey. <laughs> I guess so, yes. Sure. <laughs> Wu cuts open the cloth covering the wagon, and Chinese prostitutes reach through the bars. Wolcott predicts a confrontation between Wu and Lee. Doc, coming from the gem, looks at the wagon, then at Sai, then he puts his head down and he walks past. Just think it's kind of, it was rather kind to call them prostitutes as opposed to just slaves. Because it's human trafficking. Mm. Which, of course, was not unusual at all at the time. Civil War just happened. They're Sai's new employees. Yes. That's, that's even kinder. Yes. New employees. Uh. You know, last episode, I repeatedly said that it was nice to finally get a racial perspective on the series, and I had completely forgotten this Chinese angle. Because in episode 10, Al faced that conundrum about the worth of the life of a Chinese courier compared to the lives of those two white dope fiends. Mm. Right. And there was the whole falling out of, well, if I kill a, a, a white man to appease a, a Chinese man, what, you know, what does that say? So that, so they did, they have touched on race. Mm-hmm. Oh, on this yeah. show before, and I c- had completely, uh, forgot about that. Yeah. And it looks like we're circling around to that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even the Native Americans and stuff. True. 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 Yeah. Al gets an assist from Dan and Johnny. With sitting upright in his chair, eh, half a cunt hair, perfect. <laughs> that is such a gross thing. <laughs> As an aside, I used it last night. Uh, we were playing Destiny, and I was like, "He's got a little sliver of health, just a half a cunt hair of health left." <laughs> oh, everyone must have thought you were a horrible person. <laughs> I had to explain. <laughs> I would imagine you did. <laughs> Amazing. Trixie jumps the queue to see Al. He, she jumps past E.B., Tom Nuttall, Alice, and Silas and Wu, because she has visitation privileges based on her history of prick sucking. <laughs> so the more times you suck Al's prick, the more privileges you have? Yep, you jump right to the front of the queue. Nice. Yeah, it's like they're in line to see the king. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. We didn't see Tom Nuttall in his office, did we? Everybody else, we did. I don't think so. No. Correct. So I don't know why he was there. Tom. Um, hmm. At the Bella Union, Hugo carries his luggage downstairs. He's still upset, having been beset by that rabble, and Sai did nothing. Sai says, look on the bright side. More claims offered for sale. Price is pressed downward. Hugo declines a winding of his timepiece, but offers a parting shot at Wolcott. I find you the most severe disappointment of all. Okay, stop. Back it up. What? Stop. Hammer time. <laughs> okay, this is Stephen Tobolowski. Yes. Ready right. to get out of town. Yeah. What is going on with his business? What do you mean? I don't understand. He came to do he- what? He came to, correct me if I'm wrong, he came to make matters worse as far as the rumors about the claims and make sure that people were afraid that their claims were not going to be uh, upheld by the state and they were going to lose everything, or by the territory, I should say, by the government, and that they were going to lose everything and therefore 
they should sell them all to Psy. And who's he work for? Hearst. Wolcott and Psy work for Hearst. Uh, oh, well, well, Commissioner yeah. Jerry, played by Stephen Tobolowsky, he works for Yankton. He's the, the county right. commissioner. But they're all in cahoots. The yeah, whole- but Hearst is pulling the strings of that. I mean, he wasn't he the one that said when they said about uh, once the claims that are found to be invalid are auctioned off? They said something about, you know, I assume your friends will get first bid and he said after mr hurst yes his job is for the government but yeah he works for mr hurst too so did sass send for hurst no one sends for hurst hurst is the big big boss okay hurst is the multi-millionaire who is pulling the strings to grab as much more money as he can and cheat people out of their claims no one sends for Hearst, but didn't we like mention that Hearst would eventually appear in this show earlier? Yeah, we we did hear that he would appear in the show. Yeah. yeah, and somebody said which actor he was, but I've now forgotten. I'm certainly glad that in the 21st century, rich people can't control the government like they did back then. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> and they can't get special privileges or anything, right? Or God forbid, like uh, one of the Hearsts was supposed to have actually started a war to you know, make a profit from his business, you know. I'm glad that never happens anymore either. Correct. So we can expect a big Hearst and Al uh, battle, like they're going to go up against each other? I'm thinking so, especially after the little comment that uh, Al and Seth had last week where Seth said to Al, um, what, I... My money's on you or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This all goes back to the fact that these miners, original settlers of Deadwood, got their claims. You know, they they stole them from the Indians, from the Indian mm-hmm. land. And, and now that rules are being set up by the government, now the government's just going to take them back. And the miners are un- understandably upset. But, I mean, what did they think was going to happen? Well, they might take, the government might take them back or they might not take them back. It depends on, you know, how, how much they can get away with without Washington noticing. Well, they're going to give them to George Hearst is what it, is what it sounds like. Yeah, I like. mean, that's, that's Hearst's plan. And, you know. Wolcott wonders what impressions the commissioner will take back to Yankton and Sai says that your money spends and I'm a dangerous man. You put us together. Don't they make us the very image of Mr. Hurst? Yeah. Sounds like a challenge. Here comes Hurst. Well, if you could play casting director right now, who would you pick to play George Hurst? I don't know. Let me Google what he looks like. (laughs) (laughs) You might find pictures of the actor though. Hmm. Well, just yeah. picture a very wealthy white man. That's really vague. <laughs> That's pretty vague. Now, uh, the real George Hurst, remember, when he was younger, he was illiterate and basically illiterate and uneducated until he struck rich. Well, he my, struck my, rich in, in the silver fields, right? Right, in the Comstock in Nevada. But I just figured out who would play him. Who? Brian, Brian Murray Doyle. Or Doyle Murray. 
Ryan Doyle Murray, yeah. You know hey, who that is. Okay. Doyle Murray's brother. It seems like it should be somebody who can have, like, rough edges. And... Yes, exactly. It can't be somebody too posh. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, it's got to, I mean, miners and stuff, they had to be strong and and able-bodied and and so forth. Now, obviously, when somebody gets older and has a lot of money, they usually fill out a bit, but uh should be somebody who at some point or another had a pretty good physique on them. Mm. Wasn't afraid to work and wasn't afraid and isn't afraid to play dirty. Yeah, somebody with coarse hands, a coarse attitude, mm-hmm. but has a certain bearing of of wealth, of new money. Mm-hmm. And danger. Carol, do you have any any uh casting predictions? It's really funny because there was that that Facebook post that spoiled who it was, and I can't for the life of me remember who it was. I just put it out of my mind. It's like, I'm not going to think about that. Okay. And it's gone. I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Anyways, Steph, thanks for asking the question, because it kind of clarified a lot of things for me, too. Okay, good. Yeah, I think I'm in the same <laughs> boat you are, Mail. Yeah, I was just confused about, like, who was swindling who and who's working for who. and. Well, yeah. I think the easy way is everybody is swindling somebody except for Seth and Saul. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's like it's confusing because you don't know who's working for who and what's going on. And it's just why, what's in it for them? Do you know what I mean? Like it's oh yeah, the gold. Oh, yeah. It's always about the gold. And I know. I, but it's and the- I think there's a possibility that even the people we think we know exactly who they're working for might, at any point, double cross somebody, or actually be yeah. working someone else. So, you know. And I think-, I think that some actors are better at getting across the script than other actors. Hmm. That's true. It's a very convoluted plot. I don't think anybody, you know, it's really easy to be confused. Yeah. There's no two way. And when we get to Ms. Eisenhaus, Eisenhaus, whatever. Uh-huh. Yes, you can say Alice now that we know her first name. Alice. Okay. <laughs> that one, because I've been shooting theories out and everything. And while we were on our week break, I was driving home and I'm like, okay, now wait a minute. She's implicating Al, but who, that was one of the things when we were talking last week that bothered me because Alma's father doesn't have any reason to want Al out of the way. So why implicate Al? Why not implicate Cy or somebody or Seth or whatever? And so I was thinking, huh, maybe she actually works for Hearst or for Cy because those two people are the ones who would benefit most by having both Alma and Al out of the way. Well, the thing about Alice is that she admits to Silas that she does not she does not know exactly who hired her. But her right. guess is that it was Brom Garrett's family to pin the murder on Alma. Right, which is what I always thought. So we're gonna we're gonna get to Alice in a second. Yeah, sorry. Let's go back to the gem. Trixie tells Al that Saul met with Alma this morning about opening a bank. Also, he's teaching her to do accounts, which is like currency to them. And he stares in her eyes, longing like, 
<laughs> because she's not used to actual romantic, you know, intimacy. She's used to it just being a business transaction. Did Al actually roll his eyes when she said that? I thought I saw him roll his eyes. Yeah, he goes, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, is, is she actually there of her own volition, though, or is she working for Al for some reason and reporting back to him on Seth and Sai's dealings? I thought I thought this was completely like her own. Yeah, thing. I don't it's think she can. can she can't help herself. I think she her automatic impulse is to go back to Al. Hmm. Her loyalties lie with him. I think so. There's a f- affection there between Al and Trixie. But is there between Saul and Trixie? Is it real? Or I is think so. Put on. Oh, I think it's definitely real. She just finds it weird. Yeah, she's just not used to that. And she mocks him a little bit because if she felt the sincerity of it, it would scare her. It scares her. She's not used to this. A defense mechanism. I wonder if Saul will ever uh, <laughs> try to take the relationship to the next level. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. Be steady. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to be my steady? <laughs> Do you want to hold hands? <laughs> Do you want to get a malted <laughs> after, after school? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's what he's doing with uh, trying to teach her accounting. He's trying to get her away from alcohol, from prostituting. Yeah, well, he's Don't always kind of trying to discourage that behavior anyways. Yeah. And Al says, good for you. It's basically his attitude. Yeah, that was surprising. I like this. I like that they're kind of friends. Yeah. It's almost like he's accepting that she is becoming more autonomous. And uh, she's not autonomous. She's still reporting to him, but that she's well, becoming more autonomous. She's also showing him that she's willing to help out in the business, which he probably likes. Mm. The difference between her... Her and Al's relationship and Joni and Sai's is uh, is a nice contrast. Merrick welcomes a lady off the stage coach, Mary Stokes. She's arrived to edify the camp's children. <laughs> I'm sorry, but just before that, when that coach came in and, and the commissioner came to get on the coach and the woman thought he was going to help her out of the coach and she put her hands uh- out. He grabbed her hand to pull himself into the coach. Yeah, that is how how badly he wanted to get out of town. He's <laughs> yeah. quite the gentleman. What's this lady's name again, and was she real? Mary Stokes. And uh, she's the the teacher. She's come to camp. But was she a real is person? Is she historically? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. But Merrick was so excited that she was there. Oh, there's a stationary store around here that I'm not sure if it's just local or if there's or if it's nationwide or whatever. I was like, oh, maybe she she she's of the Stokes family. It's not a stationary store. That's like they sell kitchenware and stuff. Oh, is like it? That. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got it messed up with something else. Stedman's. I got it mess, messed up with uh, Stedman's. Which I don't even know if that exists anymore. Mm. I wrote down that Merrick wants to give his new lady crush a tour. 
And I also wrote down, Carol, I like that Hugo is in such a hurry to get out of town that he rudely climbs onto the coach, looking like he's about to help the teacher off, but really he wants help getting on. <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed. Sorry. It was great. It was great, uh, like a physical comedy bit right there. Yeah. Still not sure when Stephen Tobolowsky becomes not a good actor in this. <laughs> I don't know. Just, no, I, I haven't disliked anything he's done so far. You only disliked the bath part, didn't you, Matt? Um, the whole thing? I th- thought it was broad. Yeah, I thought it was a little broad. It's like... Uh, and I don't like seeing men in bubble baths. Yeah. <laughs> it's too weird. It's too... It's too what, like... You, you never take reg- a bubble bath? No. It's like reg- <laughs> they're regressing into infanthood. And I don't like that. I'm just picturing like those I'm like cancel my plans for later tonight. Uh, like a rubber ducky and like those wax crayons that used to draw on the tub wall. <laughs> little little plastic toys just floating around in there. <laughs> a water gun. <laughs> it was just it was just a little weird off putting to me. But I can't Put that on the actor. I'm sure it was a, either in the script or a director's decision. Okay, you're going to be in the bathtub for this scene. Why is it okay for a woman to take a bubble bath but not for a man? I don't understand. Uh, because it wasn't a bath so much as a bath time experience. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the experience you hate. It's not the bubbles. It was oh, right, right. It was. It, was, it wasn't a. It wasn't a. I'm getting clean. It was a wee. <laughs> yeah, splashy, splash, splash. <laughs> so if a woman was like wee in the tub, you'd be like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. And then he got his watch wound. Yes. It was putting those two together. <laughs> when we're putting it so, up. <laughs> let me get this straight. Okay. You you object to men bubble baths for... Now he objects to all bubble baths for... For, uh, for fun. For, uh, for grown-ass adults. Yeah. yeah. Just like, if you have fun in a bubble bath, it's not allowed. Like, I don't need to see it. Yeah. It's a little creepy. Yeah. Like, act your age is all. Like, Grow up. It's a, it's a weird fetish thing that I'm... Not super keen on, <laughs> but I can't lay that at Stephen Tobolowski's feet. I'm sure that's not his decision to do that. But so I, don't know, I didn't really like that scene. Uh, I mean, it was it was appropriate for his character being kind of a two face, mm. but it's still off putting. Uh, anyway, Ellsworth comes to Trixie at the meeting with Mister Star. Missus Garrett was all like, "Blah." <laughs> she says, "Because you knocked her up." No, I didn't. Well, I know you didn't. But would you do the right thing in this situation? What's the situation? Alma wanting a baby, but wanting to spare the cums, authors, woman, and son, the humiliation. Don't be get fucking coy with me. Would you marry her? Matt was so confused during this whole scene. <laughs> it, was, it was just like Ellsworth. It was hilarious. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? How do you not get this? <laughs> it's weird that you got this part. But not some of the other things, because I found this is just as filled with riddles and no, misdirection, it's and it's completely clear to me. No, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it was clear what she was doing to me. Well, she was trying to t- to say something indirectly, and she was talking yeah. around in circles. 
But I think it was because we kind of expected the story to go in that. We, it was easy to see where the story might go, that that Alma needs a husband. Well, yeah, I already predicted that pretty much last episode, that that's what would happen. That, or, I, or I said that. I was wondering about whether someone would make her a respectable woman or not. Mm. Podcast listeners, if you're not aware, Matt and Mel did a commentary track for this episode. And uh, listening to the track and hearing Matt go, I don't know what's happening. And Mel <laughs> saying... You don't? It's completely obvious. It was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's okay. It's fine. Because, yes, I do get confused by other things. So we all have our moments. <laughs> that was the one moment where you had you had it over me. Yes. Just rubbing my face I'm in finally it. smart. <laughs> <laughs> I've finally broken free of my hoopalhead sh- shackles. <laughs> well, at least for a moment. <laughs> oh! I know. <laughs> Carol, did you immediately know what Trixie was up to? Yeah. It's just Matt then who didn't follow. Uh-huh. Oh. Um yeah, it was it was an interesting I was like, "Whoa, interesting idea." Okay. And uh I had a feeling that you know, she was doing this on her own and and Alma wouldn't know anything about it and so when she basically said that at the end, I was like, "Yeah, okay. That how totally makes sense. Up? How can you set this whole uh, whole thing up and ask this of him without involving Alma? Well, she said she'd work on mm. her after. But she needs to know if he'd be willing to do it first before she proposes the idea to her. Mm. Because then yeah. she say she can say, Well, he's willing. You know, he's willing to help you out here. Because that would make her more receptive. Matchmaker, matchmaker, yeah. make yeah. me. Rixie. Yeah, I feel like that would make her more receptive to the idea of marrying Ellsworth if she knows that he's up for it. Mm. Yeah, Trixie is a practical woman. She's been in around the world, not around the world like physically, but she's been in the world for a long time, and she's dealt with the world a long time. Alma, as much as she was raised in you know, the society that is telling her that she shouldn't be doing any of the stuff she's doing. She hasn't had to deal with consequences and stuff in the same way that, you know, Trixie, Trixie's been, had her eyes open for a long time. What would be the consequences of, of Alma having a baby without being married? Just not being a respectable woman. People looking down at her. Who cares? She's rich. (laughs) I know, but, but that wasn't really the thrust of Trixie's argument. The argument was no, it wasn't. If Alma has this baby, everyone's gonna know it's Seth's. That's gonna humiliate Martha mm-hmm. and that fucking little boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And it's going to make life for Alma more difficult. It's gonna make life for Seth more difficult mm-hmm. for them to live around each other. Yeah, it's um, gonna be more awkward. Yeah, and. And it's just going to stay that way forever. You know, it's just going to be there. But, uh, Alma has another option. She can certainly leave the camp, just leave Ellsworth in charge of her mining operations. She can get her check sent to her through the mail, and then she can raise the child away from Martha and William. If marrying Ellsworth is too outrageous an idea. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think Ells- Ellsworth is a great, um, choice. Catch. 
Ellsworth's great, but Alma may want love too. She, if she marries Ellsworth, she can stay in the camp, but she can she may not have love. Whereas if she left, mm. maybe she could meet somebody. Well, she can get divorced later on. They did have divorce. Okay. It wasn't considered respectable, but it was certainly a lot more respectable than having a child without being married. And and technically, I mean, yeah, she could go out of camp, be gone for a year, come back and say she adopted another child. But Alma doesn't want to do that at this point. This is she's building a home. And she could give the child to a another couple in town and then visit it periodically like Lady Edith does on Downton Abbey. <laughs> but she wants a child. Yeah, it's true. Well, she's got the uh, the square head girl. Sophia. Krevlorn Swath. Yeah. But she, she wants, wants a child of her own. Yeah, she, but, but Sophia's kind of a dud with that bad hair. <laughs> she's kind of a dud as a character. Well, like they have no, they never have any stories about her. Like she's. What just, would what would a Sophia plotline be? I don't know. That's for them to come up. A with. little romance between <laughs> her and little William. Yeah. <laughs> They yeah. fixed her hair, though, so her hair looks a lot better. <laughs> I want there to be a child romance. She's just there. That's she... weird. That's a no, weird thing not. to want. Well, not She's kind of... You know what I mean? Like a little, <laughs> like, a cute little, haven't, like... Haven't you ever seen My Girl? Yeah, come on! Okay. <laughs> but she's kind of like Dawn on Buffy. <laughs> she had a great introduction, and then they just didn't do anything with her. <laughs> But at least she doesn't like scream or anything. Get out! Get, get out, out! Get out! Get out! Yeah. <laughs> get out! Get she out! Just, get out! She's kind of a lump. lump Unless Ellsworth is around, at which point she, you know, she's cute. Right. Well, you can't do much with a kid. What's a kid gonna do on this on a show like this? Besides, just kind of be around and grab a handful of oatmeal and go grow garden, prize <laughs> <Price money> garden. <laughs> <laughs> She should join William in his garden-growing endeavors, and he should, like... I should play catch. No, no, wait, they should be in a, the, the vegetable competition and see who grows the best, mm. best vegetable, and she'll win, and he'll be like, damn it! And God, then you're, guys, you're missing the most obvious plot of, of all. Which one? They get on in on that stilts craze. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to happen. And then they get the shimmy shams. <laughs> It would be kind of fun to see stilts in Deadwood. That would be hilarious. Like, what are those kids doing back there? Yeah. <laughs> They're just in the background of every shot right. on stilts. Oh, they, should, right. they, should, they should pose as adults, just wear, like, long coats. <laughs> <laughs> like, stand on top of each other, like like someone's on the, the other's shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yes. On stilts. <laughs> Amazing. Trixie, Trixie, I mean, I thought it was really indicative of... You know, Trixie really seems to care about Alma and uh, and just you know people in general. Um, do you think she cares about Alma? Or do you think she cares about keeping the peace in camp? It may be both. Um, as much as she doesn't like Seth, you know, so it's obviously she's not doing it for Seth, and she doesn't really know Martha, but. Yeah, I mean, I think she's doing it for a combination. I think she likes Alma, and I think uh, she wants she doesn't want her to to be put in a position where. I mean, she would probably end up having to leave if if she has this baby without, you know, 
with all the pressure from from uh, embarrassing Martha like that and the boy and and Seth's feelings and everything else, she'd probably end up having to leave. And I'm not sure that that Trixie wants Alma to have to leave. You know. During this scene, Trixie does not come right out and tell Ellsworth her plan. She does it in a very roundabout way. Mm-hmm. She speaks in riddles. And when, when I was wondering, has she acquired this skill, this ability to, to speak her mind without seeming impertinent because she's a person of lower station? So she makes makes men feel like her ideas are their ideas. And that's why she speaks in this way. Maybe in this conversation, there's no way could you could convince Ellsworth that this was his idea. <laughs> no, I not not this particular yeah. conversation, but I'm wondering if this is just kind of like a skill that she has. She's never shown any indication of being able to do that, of making people think it's their idea. Though that certainly is a skill that women in her position or Alma's position, or Joni's position, certainly have been known to have. I would think that that's more Joni's skill than Trixie's. I would think that Trixie might have developed a way of saying things a little more subtly than than one expected, just to deal with customers who were perhaps shy or something like that. But usually, this actually was kind of odd for Trixie, because usually she just comes right out and says stuff. Really? I don't find that true. Really? I find that she speaks in roundabout ways, and you have to... A lot? um, Whenever she's had a very long kind of speech. Can you think of any times? Because the more I think about it, the more it's like, you know, she just usually comes out and says... And that's one thing Saul is like, I'd really wish you wouldn't phrase things quite so. Well, like when the scene with Jane, when Trixie and Jane are drunk and they're standing outside together, Trixie, basically her point is that Al has a good side to him too. But rather than just saying that, she says things like, oh, don't let Al's talk of the nine cent pussy or whatever it was fool you or protecting the the gimp and she 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 goes on and on but basically her point boils down to al has his good side too mm-hmm. but she doesn't say that she says a lot of things before she mm. lands on that point and it just seems like yeah we know what she's saying yeah because we yeah. spend so much time with her and we know the intent intention behind everything but i i often feel like she says a lot of words before she gets to her true meaning do you think that's when when she's talking about things that are like emotional and when it's a situation where she's trying to say something nice about something and that she comes out really blunt when it's something that's not emotional and perhaps not very nice sort of her defense mechanism of not of sincerity being uh scary to her that that's yeah. when she's the most elusive yeah, yeah, like yeah, I think so. Like kind thoughts or or nice thoughts are for suckers. Yeah, she buries it under a lot of bluster. As is my feeling. Yeah, maybe that's what it is that she gets very roundabout whenever she's talking about something that could be considered a soft sort of, you know, showing a soft side of her. 
and uh, she's very blunt and outspoken when it's something where it's a tougher, the tougher side. E.B. tells Al about Wolcott and Tolliver. A stare from Al and E.B. is on the ropes. He never meant disloyalty. He never wanted Al to die. He's a, a born follower. <laughs> Love that line. There are some great physical acting choices here. Um, mm-hmm. With with E.B. doing his little flexing for strength and Al's little motion of go away and his ringing of the bell, uh, I wrote down plenty of animated GIF opportunities here. Or gym yes. opportunities. <laughs> okay, so why does EB? Why did EB get ten thousand dollars to do the same thing that um, that Sai was supposed to do, which is, and that the commissioner is doing to so doubt that uh, people will be able to keep their claims and to make them uh, want to sell them to Sai. I hope he buys a better suit now that he has ten thousand dollars. No. <laughs> I feel like he did. I feel like his suit looks newer. Doesn't it still kind of look righty, though? Yeah, it looks pretty awful. I have to look at it again. I didn't notice. I hate his outfits. He always looks like like he washed his darks with his lights. He's <laughs> 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 got that weird tinge of grossness to it. Like a beige tinge. <laughs> it's disgusting. But the costumes are so beautiful on this show. I was watching oh, yeah. Hell on Wheels the other day, yeah. and their costumes are, like, so cheap compared to these. Mm. And it's about the same time, yeah. These costumes. Oh, you were talking last week about, last episode about DNA, the award-winning episode. Did this show win Emmys for costumes? I should Costumes? I don't know. They really were very character specific. I I really do appreciate that about the costumes. I mean, Alma's red dress that she had on in that first scene. Well, the thing about Hell on Wheels is that they are outside a lot and doing a lot of like manual labor things, whereas on this, our main characters are mostly indoor people. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I'm looking at a picture of Eb right now. He his vest or, or sport coat. Jacket, coat, whatever you call it, uh, is very shiny and new looking. And then he's wearing a kind of yellow buttoned up shirt with a lot of frills at the Ugh. neck. <laughs> that, that frilly lacy thing at the neck and the bow tie, that's not a, a look that I like. I don't like well, fab, <laughs> extra fabric at your, uh, at your neck. That's weird to me. Well, he's got frills on the, on, on his wrists too. Like just yeah. extra, like loose frills. And just, really, really wants to be a pirate. But the, just the thought that he's got sweaty hands and all those frills just rubbing up on the sweaty hands. <laughs> it's just extra gross. He needs to have his like sleeves rolled up. His frills rolled up into his sleeves and then his sleeves rolled up to his elbows. Well, it makes me think that the 70s kind of stole their look in <laughs> the 1890s or whatever that was. But it looks like he shops at like the the trunk of a stage production, like like, <laughs> a, like a like a theater group or something would put on plays and you know Victorian era plays and EB went in into their wardrobe department and opened a trunk and then is like, "Oh, this looks fancy. I'm going to wear this." But it really looks cheap as hell cuz it's, you know, cuz someone's uh-huh. mom made that or something. Yeah. <laughs> He's got secondhand store taste. Exactly. Very secondhand looking. Yeah. The thing I like about these costumes is like, you've got 
Charlie Utter, who is dressed for work, and and Ellsworth, who is trying to dress better now that he's not out in the, you know, out on his claim all the time, and and then you've got Al, who spends half his time in long johns and the other half his time in a suit. It's you know, it, it's really it's really nicely done for the cat for each character. Oh, speaking of costumes, Wolcott had a delightful costume. Oh, it was, it was beautiful. Joke. It was very joker oh, It was beautiful. <laughs> he obviously got that with his latest bonus from Hearst. <laughs> Best dress this episode was Wolcott, for sure. Yeah. Worst dressed is always EB. <laughs> <laughs> the best dressed is always Seth Bullock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Never changes his outfit, though. Although Al, Al was, you know, quite spiffy in that pinstripe suit he had on. Mm-hmm. And Alma is always nicely turned out. Yeah. Oh, and Joni and Cy are always well dressed. I like Joni's hats too. Oh yeah. Oh does. yes. Joni's hats with the 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 trailing uh, scarves from the you know there, the bows and things. There aren't many other ladies who wear hats that I've seen, are there? There's not very many ladies. They should be wearing hats. It was everybody it was, wore hats. Yeah. It was the thing to do. Al doesn't want to buy all of his horse hats. There's a <laughs> there's a picture of uh my t- my hometown in the early 1900s and uh there's hundreds of people in this picture and I was studying it for like 15 minutes I couldn't find a single person not wearing a hat. <laughs> yeah, you were always supposed to wear a hat. Yeah. Mm. it's always I don't know how this happened this culture where we shun hats now. <laughs> happened in the 60s. Why? <laughs> Screw Just the thought man. I'd throw that out there. <laughs> Part of the counterculture. Yeah. I like a jaunty hat. Yeah. <laughs> a good hat's always a fun yep. thing. Jacqueline, Jacqueline Kennedy was known for her pillbox hat. And uh, that was kind of, that was the very tail end of the hats. Mm. I find that Martha wears the ugliest clothes. <laughs> oh my, yes, she does. Uh, she yeah. wears a dress later in the season that is like the most awful thing that I've ever really? seen. Really worse than her really? weird house coat dress thing? God, that was awful. Hmm. I don't know why they have to make her so dowdy looking. She's just boring. They're trying to juxtapose her with Alma, mm-hmm. who's very right. who's very, you know, hot, smoking hot. They should have just went all out with that. <laughs> it's- they should have had her wear a burlap sack. <laughs> and that was costume talk. <laughs> Which lady should I go with? This extravagant lady with the nice dress or burlap sack? <laughs> a potato falls out randomly once in a while. <laughs> Seth opened the hardware store since Saul was out. Saul says he paid a call on Alma. Seth gets really steamed. At, at Alma's invitation, Saul says, but Seth hears none of it. He leaves in a snit, although first he refers to Trixie as the whore. Uh-huh. Oh, damn. Yeah. I like that word, snit. <laughs> Man, like Seth that. goes from zero to ten like that. I love yeah. it. I like how Saul didn't even pretend to try to like come to blows with him. He's like, I wouldn't win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please I, have that as, I have that as one of my quotes. Uh, I 
I love that whole that whole thing. Yeah, I always I always enjoy Angry Seth. It doesn't get old. <laughs> and and I love how Saul is just like, because I, you know, I didn't talk to you about it because I knew you weren't going to be rational. And mm-hmm. here you are, yeah. not being rational. It's funny for a man in his position not being rational. You would think that you would need some level of rationale to be a sheriff. You couldn't let your passions carry you like that. You can't just right, go. But you just can't go punching Hooplehead Steve. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling that you know his passions are usually pretty well in check, unless he's dealing with a woman that he is madly in love with. But he was well, angry even before he met Alma. He was just an angry person. He's just full of anger. Oh, he is full of anger. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But he still had it pretty well under control until he met Alma. Well, Seth also says, I don't give a fuck who invited who. I'm pretty sure he should have said who invited whom. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Being that that who is the subject and whom is the direct object. You're absolutely correct. So it makes me like Seth a little bit less. Then why don't you write a letter to... uh... Timothy Oliphant? Yeah, or to the writer... Steve Shell. Tell them Let, all about your learning. <laughs> Let them know that they have, you know, put a chink in the in Seth's armor for you, and mm-hmm. you may never be able to appreciate him the way he you did before. He's dead to me now. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, I'm very sorry for you. Okay, <laughs> I'm sensing a little bit of sarcasm, but <laughs> what? Who me? Mm-hmm. Alice speaks to Al in Alma's opium stupor. She has admitted to Alice to using Alice, her instrument, to murder Brahm. Al asks, who do you work for? She gets cagey. People of means. He pegs her as a Pinkerton agent hired by Brahm's family. She offers him $50,000 and not a cut of it will go to his subordinates. Her pockets will compensate Silas. Nothing deducted on account of the pussy. That was free gratis. Al wants to take the day to think about her offer. Yeah, I, so I'm trying to think back. There was a lot of times when she's just in the background listening to what Alma is saying, but I I can't remember if Alma discussed Brahm's nope. death. Nope. Lying. nope. She's lying. She's lying, okay. Oh, yeah, because Alma had nothing to do with Brahm's death. No. She's just trying to, yeah. She's... Also, she kicked the drug habit before she even arrived. Yeah. 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 Like, that's yep. true. Yeah, exactly. Now this is, and Al knows it's whole cloth because, among other things, you know, he, he knows who killed Brom. Yeah. And, and knows that she had nothing to do with it. And he knows that she's off the opium because he hired Trixie to make sure she stayed on. Yeah. But was there ever a time when Alma mentioned Al at all? No. Well, I mean, she may have mentioned him as, you know, in passing, having to do with business and stuff, but she she doesn't like Al any more than she likes E.B. Or well, maybe not quite. And so yeah. Alma thinks that the death was a accident. Alma thinks that no. Alma knows that Dan and Al killed her husband because Ellsworth was there. Yeah, but he didn't say anything. She she just she knows that he was killed because she. She saw how stupid he was being. Yeah. Okay. She warned him not to uh, stay in camp. She said, we should not linger here. Right. And he didn't listen. He wanted his money back. 
Yeah. Then the very next day he comes back and she says to Dan, is that what happened? A tragic turn? And he, and he kind of looks, you know, away from her. He can't meet her eyes. She knows. She's such a smart yeah. lady. She's figured it all out. While she was on opium. Right. <laughs> There's no way she ever confessed anything to Alice. Mm-mm. No. So yeah. Alice is just full of shit here. Um, so Alice does like, um, what's his face? Titus <laughs> Welliver? Yes. yes. Likes him? Is okay with sleeping with him. She's not just playing him. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think she just likes to fuck him. Okay. I don't think she has much uh, sincere affection for him. She's not in love with him. She likes to roll in the hay. Or she could be just trying to keep him on a string. I mean, that's it's. What I think. Yeah, that's keep what. Keep her side. Mm hmm. Because, I mean, he got mad at her. So she. Yeah. Yeah, every time, every time he gets mad at her, she just like, let's go, let's go have sex, let's go fuck. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing the effect that can have on a guy. <laughs> yeah, he instantly turns into Jello. He's just like, yeah, oh. yeah. Like, he turns stoop. He turns into a hoopalhead. Yeah, as soon as she says that, he's just like, they're like, he, his eyes just glaze over. <laughs> and uh, now this is the moment when I was like, because. <clears throat> I had, as you know from last week, I was pretty sure that she'd been hired by, you know, the family, whether it's her father or, or Brahm's family, you know, whoever, the folks back in New York. And then during the week, I was thinking, huh, maybe she actually was her, for Hearst or even Cy, because both of them would want to get rid of Al. But then when she offered $50,000 to Al, Expecting him to take it and get out of town. Mm. It was like, okay, this is not Hearst or Cy. Both of them know that that would be, I mean, unless they wanted him to turn it down. That's part of I believe that she wants, she's trying to pay Al $50,000 to testify against Alma. Wasn't it to get out of town? I'm fairly certain that she's telling him... Well, he says, why I pray fervently, it ain't the Pinkertons whose pay you're in, and that her dead husband's people hired to steal her gold. Right. And she's offering him $50,000. And then earlier they talk about um, her being lonely at the Bar of Justice. Before the line about being lonely at the Bar of Justice, she says what she wants him to do. And I don't remember exactly. It went by really fast. And I just got the impression that she was saying... You take this, you get out of town, and that leaves the widow to take the fall for everything. And the idea that that he would give up this business of his to get out of town for $50,000 was, like, ridiculous. But is do I have it wrong? There, She explained what she wanted, but I don't remember exactly. I may have misinterpreted. He says that I was her instrument. Yes, so we could pin it on someone else or I could take the fall. Confess, support in your version. Yes, in writing, then subsequently escape. Such has been known to occur. Well, so maybe yeah. maybe her plan is, yeah, Al confesses and then he leaves camp. Right. Well, maybe. That I mean, that's what it sounded like 
the idea was that he he pins it on he confesses and pins it on Alma. He escapes off into the night with fifty thousand dollars, which the only people that I could see thinking Al would give up his whole business and everything like that is people who do not understand how much money Al is making there. Yeah, people in on the East Coast, Ron Garrett's right. family. Yeah, maybe exactly. Exactly. Except they could easily just pin it on Dan or Johnny. Like, who could? Al could. Oh, Al could do any number. Al could, Al could take the $50,000. Like, I mean, Alice could say, okay, here, I'll give you $50,000 if you blame Johnny or, or Dan or Crop Ear or one of your, one of your subordinates. And then Al wouldn't have to leave camp at all, but he could still be her witness. Yeah, but that's. Testify for her. Right. There's all kinds of things that could happen, but I'm looking at what she's proposing to happen and thinking that Al would do that for $50,000. But it makes so little sense that he would that he would leave camp. That exactly. Why wouldn't exactly. her Why wouldn't her plan be okay? We're going to pay you fifty thousand dollars for you to blame somebody. Except that's not what she says. No, it kind of isn't. So that indicates to me that whoever put this plan together has no real understanding of Deadwood. Yeah, it sounds like it. And that would not be Hearst, and that would not be Sigh. So that leaves the East Coast people. I think it's Brom Garrett's family because that's what Al says. He, mm-hmm. That's his Al's theory. That's Alice's theory. No one actually says who it is. Yeah. But since you've got two different parties both theorizing that it's the Garrett family, yeah. I think that's who we're going to probably go with until we hear otherwise. Uh, I hear no mention of Alma's father in any of this. So no, but and Al is usually right. And Al's usually right. Al is usually right. So Silas is angry with Alice about the situation that she's put him in. But if he has any questions, come upstairs and fuck. I'll answer all of them. (laughs) Steve takes a drink at the number 10. Seth walks in. He warns Steve, sucks to be you, but no one of any color is going to be murdered in this camp. So deal with it or get the fuck out. Hunch. Steve whines and Seth slugs him. You can't just do that. (laughs) <laughs> he just did. He can't. Well, that's what one of the barflies says. This guy's name is Rutherford, according to the IMDb. Oh, yeah? And Rutherford is played by Deadwood writer-producer Ted Mann. Uh-huh. Also hmm. a producer uh, on uh, Millennium, too. Writer-producer on first season of Millennium. Ted Mann plays the barfly Rutherford, and that's probably why his performance here is kind of wooden. It's uh-huh. he's, not a, he's not an actor. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but um, Rutherford says, well, you know, you don't have to take that abuse from the sheriff. And Steve says, you're right. I'm going to go carve on Bullock's horse. Hey, dude, I just fucked your horse. <laughs> and before I fuck your horse, I will have fucked that horse. And after Steve leaves, Tom Nuttall suggests that Rutherford take up whittling as a hobby, as an alternative to shit mingling. <laughs> <laughs> That is probably the worst idea anybody's ever come up with. To say, oh, man, you're going to tell him that I fucked his horse. Duh! <laughs> it's <laughs> like, a drunken idea. It's so stupid. It's pretty dumb. <laughs> I mean, is like, that like... That's like a... I don't know, like a... A masculine thing, like... <laughs> like, I don't know... I can't well, yeah. say it's like a man thing, but like... To de- demasculinize... Demasculinize? Is that a word? Masculate, that's the word. 
So that's to demasculate Seth for giving him a hard time? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it it was weird. All the time when he was talking about that, I was like, okay, so this is... (laughs) In any other situation, it would have been, you know, I'm going to do something nasty to a woman in your life, and that will, you know, and, but, so, taking it down three pegs, it's like, no, I'll do something nasty to your horse. It's so weird. It's, I'm going to show you by fucking your horse. You realize that that doesn't reflect very well on you, right? (laughs) Because you just committed an act of bestiality, but okay. Yeah, Um, the whole thing was so weird. It was very strange. Disturbing. Um, There (laughs) was... This character of Rutherford, um, I don't know. I guess this kind of person exists in real life. Mm -hmm. A person who just kind of hangs around drunk people and encourages them to do awful things Mm -hmm. just to see what happens. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I just have note here, uh, something like, who's the troublemaker that's urging at, on the loud mouth? I couldn't remember Steve's name. Sai is disturbed by Wolcott's smart, alecky attitude. He hears Wolcott has a tendency to ride girls off a cliff, a dangerous habit to indulge if not among friends. Are you my friend, Mr. Tolliver? Sai says he's past surprise, and he would never jeopardize a handsome income. Wolcott replies, only stupid men are past surprise, and Hearst already knows of my inclinations. You suck at blackmail, Tolliver. You are a man past your prime. During this last transitional period, be a good man. Stay out of the way. Okay. You know when I said that some actors are good with uh, getting these ideas across? I don't think Powers Booth is very good. I know he's a very intense presence on screen, but... It took me several times watching this to realize he's making Wilcott think that he's trying to blackmail him, but he's really just getting him riled up. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he's doing. And it's not obvious at first. It, it took me to uh, watch it. I'd watch it two or three times to get it. But I, I think you're at, you got did get it as far as he he was trying to make it seem like he was doing one thing, but really doing something else right that he was black trying to blackmail him and i think the way the writers and i'm just guessing here that they were okay with you feeling like he was just trying to blackmail him Uh and guy went got wound up and then later on you see how the pieces all fell into place and Cy got what he wanted you know what i mean yeah so i i don't know whether you were really supposed to get that he was purposely winding him up or not the right away. Right. I don't know. Yeah, we discussed last episode that Sai is one of these characters who it's just, it seems like he changes motivations and allegiances kind of willy nilly or, or he, um, or he kind of bites the hand that feeds him. Like he just can't resist. I've got a note here at the beginning when he was first starting, I have size throwing Joni under the bus, making his play. And then at the end, just the, it wasn't surprising that, that Hearst knew about Wolcott's inclinations. But I mean, I definitely was in the same boat as Stephanie, as far as I didn't put all the pieces together until, I think until um, Wolcott was walking down the street, and then it was like, oh, wait a minute. This was just to get Wolcott going, get him To unbutton himself. 
He's so yeah. buttoned up and wound up. Now he's just. This is one of the only times I noticed the score in this show. Hmm. I didn't notice it. I don't really? know. Really? It was no, awful. I, I don't really, I don't usually notice the score. All, all there was was just him, you know, tr- uh, when he was walking, trumping along down the street. There's nothing to notice besides a man walking talk- in the was, music. He was talking to himself. I guess, yeah. He was talking to himself very quietly, and I was I was listening to that. Yeah. No, they used the score to uh, make it tense, mm. to yeah. build the tension. Oh, yeah, they sure. they did, um, and they've done that a couple times on the show. This music is very sparse, but when it kicks in, it's usually just subtle enough to make you realize that something's going to happen, about to happen, and what is going to happen. And as I said, build the tension. Um, I'm just one of those people that, for some reason, the music affects me. But it's all part of the the one, and I have a tendency not to really hear it as separate. It's just the way I am. I miss the stuff like I miss stuff like that. I miss things like costumes, <laughs> like, like on on the uh, on the show Potential Cast. They uh, like to talk about what people are wearing, or you know the outfits, or if the bra straps are showing or not, <laughs> and it's like. Really? Willow Willow was wearing overalls? Like, I didn't even notice. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> her sweater was ridiculous. Yeah, well, see, my daughter is into costuming now, and so I pay special attention now. Mm. Yeah, clothing, fashion, it means, like, nothing to me. So when people, t- oh, that was really big in the 90s. Like, what? It was? Okay, if you say yeah. so. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I have no idea what was popular in the 90s. Or- oh, the 90s was the worst. I, I was busy in the 90s. I don't remember. Or the best. My mom buys my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's like Einstein. He has just a closet full of the same outfit. Or so he doesn't, like Wilson Fisk. Yeah, so he doesn't have to spend the, uh, the mental capacity to waste it, deciding what to wear. Mm. I don't think it's a coincidence that this comes after that Rutherford scene, because in that bar scene... You have a character riling up another character, you know, winding him up, watching him go, watching, oh, what's going to happen now? You know, it's the same kind of technique. Good. Oh, wow. Oh, good point. So I bet the fact that they're back-to-back is intentional. Yeah, but you're right. Alice was piloting a steamboat at the time Alma placed adverts <laughs> for a tutor. That sounds like a lie. <laughs> that was pretty cute. Alice wasn't told who hired her, but it would make sense that it was the dead husband's parents. Silas asks if he if she sent miners up the scaffold in Pennsylvania. Nope, she was busy on the Mississippi. <laughs> we're going to talk about that miner scaffold thing in just a second and what that meant. But uh, again, I love this transformation of Mrs. Ringhausen from that tutor we saw in the season premiere to this piloting a steamboat. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was like really. This woman is like crazy. I love her. <laughs> you don't think that was a lie? No, I want. I think that she's completely believable. Like that's what she was doing, and she was found. And they, I can't believe they would let a let a woman pilot a steamboat back then. It would be really unusual, but you know, I, I if she's lying, it's just such a bizarre lie to tell. Exactly. You know, it, it, no, a lot of people do like, that though. It seems like strange enough that it's true. Uh, Mary Millicent Miller, 
was the first American woman to acquire a steamboat master's oh. license. <laughs> and she got the license uh, February 16th, 1884. So this is what, 1876, mm-hmm. 1878. So a couple Gosh. years prior, but just because... Uh, it was piloting without a license. She's yeah, a exactly. <laughs> right. Just because she was piloting the steamboat doesn't mean that she was doing it without a license. So, yeah. Lots of illegal activity on the old Mississippi. <laughs> I just like this idea that Alice was such a kind of wild card person that, yeah, she could pilot a steamboat. She could become a Pinkerton agent. She could pretend to be a tutor. She's like a spy. Mm, yeah. She's, she's kind of great. Oh, yeah. You think she was piloting a steamboat as part of like a, a Pinkerton thing? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. An assignment. Uh, she's she's an interesting character. I just like the idea, like she she applies for this job and she she goes in and they say, oh yeah, you you could be a tutor. And what did you do before this? I piloted a motherfucking steamboat. <laughs> and they'd be like, wow, you are good, lady. We really thought you were. We really bought this idea that you were a tutor, but you're really something. Like, well, you're hired. <laughs> or Silas asks Miss Isringhausen. Alice, about miners in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was a hard coal mining state. Wages were low, working conditions atrocious. For example, children as young as seven would earn between one and three dollars per week separating slate from coal. Deaths and serious injuries numbered in the hundreds each year. For example, in 1869, a fire at the Avondale Mines took the lives of 110 coal miners. It started when the wooden lining of a mine shaft caught fire and and ignited the coal breaker built directly overhead. The shaft was the only entrance and exit to the mine. The fire trapped and suffocated 110 people. The families blamed the coal company for failing to finance a secondary exit for the mine. The mine owners, without one single exception, had refused over the years to install emergency exits, ventilation, pumping systems, or to make provisions for sound scaffolding. All of this gave rise to the Molly Maguires, an Irish secret society formed to protect exploited Irish-American workers in the coal fields of eastern Pennsylvania. Mm. They allegedly were responsible for incidents of vigilante justice that included violence and murder. Pinkerton agents were hired by the wealthy mine owners to apprehend and prosecute the Molly Maguires on June 21st, 1877, a day now known as Black Thursday. Twenty men linked to the Maguires were sentenced to death by judges who were heavily influenced by mining companies. Testimony against the miners came from James McParlin, a Pinkerton agent that had infiltrated their ranks. The crime was the killing of various mining officials, supervisors, and police during what was called the Long Strike. In 1979, the state of Pennsylvania recognized that these hangings were unjustified and gave John Kehoe, the alleged head of the Maguires, a state pardon over a 100 years after his death. Sean Connery played John Kehoe in the 1970 film The Molly Maguires. Mm. Mm. So the idea being that uh, mine owners, just like George Hurst, completely irresponsible, atrocious working conditions, they went on strike... The Pinkertons came in, did some strike busting, arrested some some men, hanged them. That's what Silas says. Were you were you in on the Molly Maguire thing? Mm-hmm. Were you part of the that Pinkerton thing? She says no. I was on the Mississippi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the same thing that um, Charlie Utter got mad at Mr. W. Yeah. yeah. No, Ellsworth. Or yeah, Ellsworth. Got- same same sort of. Uh, same kind of thing. Same same story, you know. 
wealthy people controlling that kind of industry, they just took shortcuts and they didn't care about the people who got killed. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want it to eat in on their profits. Exactly. If, if they make, you know, if they stick to safety measures, then they'll make less profit. Yep. No OSHA back then. And that's what's frustrating today. And you hear about people who are so dismissive of unions. Yep. You, you don't understand the labor movement or in this country. Or the EPA. Yep. Oh, let's get yeah. rid of the EPA. These sort of protections existed because people died right. for, for, for yeah. things like no child labor and safe working conditions and weekends. and Yeah. My family came from coal mining. And they could tell that, you know, certain president, you know, whatever party was in control, the uh, safety regulations were were stricter or more looser. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's and there's a lot of people now that seem to be actually going back and trying to lionize these, you know, the robber barons who were who were doing this stuff. And who were busting up the unions. And, you know, as someone said a long, long time ago, wherever there's a union, there was bad management. So, you know, there's a reason for every union that's out there. So basically, if someone doesn't have a union and you suggest a union, it's kind of an insult to them, their management skills. Could be. Mm. The one thing I'll point out here, I mean... I've I've worked in horrendous conditions that were non-union and so much better conditions that were union. But then I worked in uh, human resources for a large, large corporation um, for a very long time. And one of the things that I watched happening was salaried employees uh, having their retirement benefits cut and cut and cut after they had retired when they had been promised these benefits and mm. in some cases had given up money for these benefits yeah. but they were all cut because the small print said that the agreement could be changed at any time and the only people who got to keep their retirement benefits were the union people because they had a contract mm-hmm. and so a lot of the people who were you know salaried and and very anti-union in the end they they got uh well to put it bluntly they got screwed if you say the word union in my workplace the ninjas will destroy you mm-hmm. yep okay. oh yeah sure. and you read about things like the the coal mines in pennsylvania and just all of the people who died and uh-huh. were injured uh in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania alone, 566 miners were killed, 1,700 injured, seriously injured over a seven-year period. The conditions were awful. They, this was, this is our labor movement in this country, and yeah. people don't realize it. And the Pinkertons were, they were that company that the mine owners hired to to union bust, and yeah, and that's why, that's why where this comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that was a little bit of labor history for you. Yep. Dear listener. <laughs> Thanks for that. So we get a Wolcott soliloquy. Past hope, past kindness, consideration, justice, satisfaction, warmth, cold, comfort, love, but not surprise. How tedious a life without surprise would be. He enters the Chesame, carries napping. 
He's come to see Doris. He must not let Doris be past surprise. <laughs> Matt did not know who was Carrie and who was Doris. <laughs> nope. Blondes look alike to Matt. <laughs> Doris is Saz Spa. I know that now. But... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Matt tends to get blondes confused. <laughs> it's just like like blonde actresses. Like They all have the same Hollywood blonde look. I don't know. Usually. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure why that is with you. I don't know. You're just blonde racist. <laughs> uh, Doris, I find her rather plain and Carrie a little more sophisticated looking. Doris looks derpy to me. I'm sure side by side. There you go, derpy. Side by side, I would have been fine, but. Carrie had that cherub look. That yeah. round faced, rosy cheeked cherub sort of. With the curls. She had curls. Yeah. She looks cosmopolitan and Doris is very homely. Uh, I love how this scene builds tension with the music and. <sighs> We've been waiting for Mr. W to unspool. In this mm-hmm. fashion. Um. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I thought, I was expecting he just liked to, you know, just hit girls. He just wanted to knock them around. Well, let's talk about all of, of Mr. W right now. Um, okay. So he takes Doris into the room. Joni comes in. Where's, where's Mr. W? Oh, he's in the room with Doris. Well, why is he with Doris? Then Carrie goes into the room. And we see that Doris is dead. She's had her throat slit. Carrie doesn't care that Mr. W killed Doris. But that's not the problem, Mr. W says. The problem is that you saw me. I don't want to have been seen. She says, and you're fucking crazy. He slits her throat. Now, there are two dead whores. But first she asked him to make it to where it didn't hurt. She had accepted her fate. Yeah. Although she did try and get away. She made a break for it. Yeah. Uh, and she says she's very angry that I'm going to die in this shithole. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joni goes for her gun cause, because she's going to go in that room. But J- Maddie has the gun. It tells her to get out. So Joni leaves, runs down the street crying. Charlie gives her a tip of the hat. But she, and she says, oh, Mr. Utter. And she runs past him. And, and he's like looking after her like, what's, what's, what's her deal? <laughs> And I, I love that, that little exchange where he's yeah. like looking after her like with like concern and because it's been a while, but those two characters shared some time together in mm-hmm. the first season and, mm-hmm. and I love that friendship and it's, it's coming back. It's paying off here. Yeah. I hope she goes to him and not to Cy. <laughs> yeah. Well, she did both. She runs into the Bella Union. She tells Cy there's trouble at her place. The, the man who Doris rep- reports to, that's the man making the trouble. She gets money from the bartender, Jack, well, $1,400, I think. Yep. And tells Lila, go to Charlie Utter, ready a wagon. Yeah. But after this, I hope she's done with Cy. Uh, well, she owes that dude money now, and that's basically Cy's money, so... Mm-hmm. But she's stolen from him already, so... I know, I, but... I was actually... One of my notes is, um, where is the money that uh, Joni and Maddie... Had been made that Joni and Maddie made. Can Joni get to the money before Cy does? I think so. I think it's probably in a safe in the Chez Ami. She just can't get it now, but she wants to get 
get some money from Jack. So I think this is not Side's money. She's it's Jack's money. It's Jack's money. Squ- now she owes Jack money that he that he's squirreled away. So yeah. she'll she'll pay him back. But yeah, right now she just needs some money to give to the girls to get him out of town. Yeah, she does, she doesn't want any more dead people on her conscience. She's still so. gonna have to work somehow to pay him back, and probably that but, will have to be with Sai. Well, technically, she still owns the shares of me, but she doesn't have any girls to work. Anything. No, she's basically gotten rid of her establishment now. That's gone down the hole because of that. Yeah, it's like she's lost everything. Yeah, she has lost everything, though it's... I mean, nobody knows about what happened. And technically, she's back... I mean, she's got the place, she's got the furnishings... She doesn't have the girls, but Maddie was the one that brought the girls. So it would be a matter of getting more girls and getting, I mean, other than the That's fact that she's emotionally distraught. At That's this not going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either. Does she want to go back to running girls? Can, I can't not, even yeah, fathom no, it. No, she's not. Nothing's, yeah. That word is going to get around that people were murdered there. I mean, And she's traumatized. Yeah, and that's, that's not going to happen. I I had... One note that, you know, poor Joni should have trusted herself because it was her calling Maddie and not trusting that she could do it herself that did this whole thing to her. Mm. Mr. W. leaves the bedroom and Maddie demands $100,000 for now, then more, for all the days of her life. So He grabs her hand and slits her throat too. Rest in peace, Borg Queen. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think Maddie would be around very much longer. I was expecting she deserved that guy. for walking right up to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when when Joni came in and was asking Maddie what was going on, did anybody else? I mean, she seemed Maddie seemed so excited to the point of almost titillation. That's what I couldn't figure out. I couldn't figure out was she nervous and scared. Or was she excited about what I was going never, on? Her could, money was coming. I could right never up. figure her out. Yeah. She, she didn't seem scared. I mean, I've specifically, you know, she seemed, to me, she seemed very excited, almost to the point of, as I say, like titillation. Like she was just like, like it's finally happening. I've been waiting for this. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and almost comes. like she was perhaps even getting a sexual charge out of what was going on in the other room. I, I was just, it was really creepy. I think one reason why uh, our hoopleheads here are having issues figuring her out is because she's really embodying two people. She's the person who's titillated and excited and wants the money, and then the person who is just guilty that she's a fucking monster mm. and she's going to kill th- these girls. And I think it it's fluctuating internally between the two. Like, I really want this to happen God, this is horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think that first one won out at that point. I think okay. she was just you- so overcome with being excited that it finally happened. Yeah, well, you can't give in to feeling guilty. You can't. But she give- does feel guilty. Yeah, but you she's- can't give in fully to that feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to you have to focus on your goal. Well, she should have focused because she was so scatterbrained that she allowed Wilcott to kill her. Well, yeah, I mean, I have a note here. When you're threatening someone with a gun, you don't walk right up to them with... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's dumb. Grab but... your hand. And when you're threatening someone to that you are going to extort them 
when he they've just killed two people in the other room, you don't start saying, and by the way, I'm going to do this to you for the rest of my life. Right. Long I... You know, I got the feeling she was so overcome with her so own excitement that she's been anticipating this for so long that she just, like, had kind of a breakdown. Mm-hmm. She was really off the off a rocker right at that point. In the premiere, she goes to that scene with Sai, like that first scene with Sai, Joni, and Maddie. Sai throws something against the wall, and Maddie doesn't even flinch. Mm. It felt like when she she came to camp, she was very put together, confident. And then it's just as this moment, as she anticipated this moment, it's like all of her defenses kind of broke down, and she became irrational, impulsive, and yeah, it, it led to her undoing. Oh yeah, because if she was if she was like she was in the premiere with Wolcott as she was with Sai, she would have just been in the chair, very collected, and she would have said to him, "You just killed." two of my girls. Now you're going to pay me some money and that'll be that. He even said something about a very expensive. Yeah. That was the title. Yeah. And he was, he indicated he was expect, I get the feeling he was expecting to come out of that room, pay her a whole hell of a lot of money Mm -hmm. and she would take care of it. And that was probably her plan. You know, either way, he makes they, she makes money off of him as a trick, or she makes money off of him by blackmailing him. Yeah, and, but she just comes completely undone. Yeah, yeah, she just can't contain herself at all. She's, yeah, she has she's a regular wacko. Yeah. Well, she's dead now. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to worry about trying to figure her out anymore because she's no. dead and Carrie's dead and Doris is dead. You got three dead ladies here. Dead people are the least confusing people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mel has been um, wanting Wolcott to do something. Yes. To earn his reputation as a dangerous lay. That's right. He He's finally done it. But it was not when- in, in nature, though. Oh. When he killed them, it was just, I'm going to kill you. That That's sexual for him. That's his release. Mm. Well, no, no, he's he's a serial killer. He's a serial killer. That's what this whole thing was about. The When he said to her, when he said to Carrie, um, you saw me and I don't want you to have seen me or something like that. That was the key. That's his pattern. That's what, Car- that's what uh, Maddie knew. That his pattern is that he's involved with some girl and she's, you know, he's having, um, basically sex with his pants on until something makes him decide to take the pants off. She sees him. He kills her. The metaphorical pants? <laughs> no, the real pants. The literal pants. Don't make me. Take my pants off. You wouldn't so like me with my pants off. That's what he said. That's what he meant when he said, you've seen me. That's not what I thought. Really? Not exactly. That's what I thought. You've seen my dick, <laughs> so therefore I must kill you. <laughs> Basically, I think that's really what it comes down to. I thought it meant that she saw his inner self, his grotesqueness. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. And having seen his true self, he has to kill her. When yeah. did she see his true self? When she saw Doris dead. Yeah. But didn't he just kill Doris because he she betrayed him? Doesn't matter. 
now that she knows that he's capable of murder, I don't think so. He's seen his true self. I don't think so. I think he's more twisted than that. Because he called her in to see Doris. Well, yeah, I mean, that's twisted. Yeah, come in here and see the girl I killed. Now I have to kill you because you saw what I've done. I don't think that was it. I think he was going to kill Carrie. It was just he was winding up to it. Just as Maddie... Maddie was so sure that Carrie was going to end up in a box. And I think it's because this guy has a pattern. And he he does this with girls. Maddie knew it. She set Carrie up with the idea that she was going to blackmail him. And that was going to set her up for life. She had so, it all figured out. So you think it's a form of foreplay for him? Yeah. That I buy. It, it it's It's weird, though, because... It just doesn't make sense because, uh, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. I just, I do feel like he killed her, Carrie, because Carrie glimpsed something within him. Mm. She saw the ugliness within him. Okay. And therefore, I don't know if it's embodied in some sort of ugly shriveled penis or not, but (laughs) she she saw how grotesque he was and therefore... She had to go. And if he showed it to her, like, it's like, I'm going to show you how awful I am. I'm going to show you my sh- ugly shriveled penis. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you dead Doris. I want you to see, see who I am. And she says, yes, you're crazy. He's like, now that you've seen, I can't, I have to kill you. Cause that's the problem. Now that you've seen, I had to show you, but I have to kill you. Yeah. I mean, I think from the moment he said, you know, about, you know, you can't have seen me or whatever it was he said. When she says, then you're crazy, she says that because she knows that that's, you know, that he's telling her he's going to kill her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I might be totally wrong, but I really, I think this guy, I think this is this guy's pattern. Not killing Doris normally. Normally it would just be killing Carrie. Do you think saying you're fucking crazy is... I mean, we know Carrie, Carrie's been mouthy. Mm-hmm. She really has been, felt like kind of a brat. Yeah. Like, um, are you going to fuck me? Are you going to fuck her, Francis? Uh, this letter's boring. It's a very long letter. Like, mm-hmm. she's, she's not a character who is restrained uh, with her opinions. She, right. She, she tells him, and then she's, oh, you know, you talk, I don't talk to rocks because I'm not a crazy person. If she had been a little less, more like Joni, like careful. Could she have gotten out of that room? No. I don't think there was any way that she was getting out of that room alive. Mm-mm. I don't think there was any way she was getting out of that relationship al- alive. Mr. W has a line. He says, now I could cut off my arm. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of a weird throwaway line. I have my interpretation of what that means, but I'm curious to hear. It means his penis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did anyone else think about that line what it could mean i just thought it meant you know it was, it was regret it's very twin peaks i th- i thought it was regret but it's the kind of regret that you know of a psychopath who is like oh look what i had to do now i feel so bad about it so, so i guess you know maybe next time that i do it won't you know i'll be sorry about that one too i guess my interpretation, and again, this could be completely wrong, but that he, f- in this moment, felt so numb and outside of himself, like disembodied from, from what he's just done, that he could cut off his arm and not feel anything. Hmm. 
Interesting. Interesting. Maddie has a weird line, too. Um, she tells Joni that she never took his full history. That seemed weird. She seemed to know a lot about him. Exactly. Yeah. So was that a lie? It seemed like to me she was saying, I don't have any responsibility in this because I didn't, I didn't know about his history. Yeah, it seems very ingenuous. But she did. She must have. I mean, she set the whole thing up. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't buy that for a minute. I think she knew exactly what she was doing. I think she was well aware from day one that she was setting somebody up to get killed. And she, she was more interested in the money than anything else. She was excited about it. She'd found a way to, to make more money than she thought she was ever going to be able to make. So before we move on, your gut reactions when you're watching this unfold, satisfying, tense? It was tense. It was interesting. You rarely see somebody slit three throats in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very tense, yeah. You see it all the time on, like, Game of Thrones these days. But I just remember back then watching it for the first time being like, this is, like, one of the most shocking things I've ever seen. I've- yeah, this was very disturbing. Yeah, yeah, it was. I've, no, I've watched some messed up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this this really disturbed me. Mm-hmm. This felt to me like Miles and Flora getting shot in season one. Yeah. yeah. Like, I can't believe they yeah. took it to this place. Yeah. And that's one reason why when Cy comes in, that's when I was really looking back at their earlier conversation and thinking to myself, okay, Cy recognizes this guy because he's the same kind of psychopath. Mm-hmm. You know, that he also enjoys killing people, and he's also twisted. He's not twisted in the same way this guy's twisted. This guy may be unique. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it was very, it was, it was very disturbing. It was, it was pretty ugly. Pretty ugly stuff. But it was satisfying that we'd been waiting for for Mm -hmm. the other shoe to drop, and it finally did. Yeah, that's very true. And I remember being very scared for Joni. Yeah. I just wanted her to get out of it alive. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about it later and saying, okay, if Joni had gone into that room with her gun, would she have made it out? I think so. I don't think she's as dumb to walk right up to him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's not as dumb as Maddie. There's no two ways. There's not a lot. There wasn't a lot of room in that, in that bedroom. But now what's going to happen? When she runs into him in town. Exactly. <laughs> she's she's yeah. a smart cookie and she knows how to deal with psychopaths. So I think she... Uh, well, does she know they all died? Does she know everyone? She left. No, I don't think she knows Maddie died yet. She will. But does she know anyone died, really? Um, technically, uh, no, but... I'm guessing she's got a she knew. pretty good idea that both yeah, Doris well, and Carrie... Why doesn't she, she go to Sheriff, then? Because Sai is her... Exactly. She goes back to her... Back to the home that she knows, which is a, very sad, but I think it's in keeping with her character. Yeah. Stephanie Smith tells me on Twitter, I am super disturbed while she was watching that. Yes, I was very disturbed. <laughs> and I And I said... Oh, I am delighted that you are disturbed. I have, a fo- <laughs> I have a fondness for this episode. And she says, you are sick. <laughs> she tells me that I am a crazy person. I am a, I am a psychotic, just like Mr. W. 
Oh, that's thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was a, a big important scene, a uh, couple scenes for the episode, uh, probably the game changing moment, uh, maybe the season. We were building and building to that, and it finally happened, and now we're going to deal with some fallout for that, so we spent some time talking about it. Uh, but we're going to backtrack just a little bit then. Merrick has some great things to say about educators, that someone like Miss Stokes can alter a child's life with merely merely an encouraging word, how he reveres her dot 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 profession. <laughs> we'll check in on Merrick and Mary Stokes in a yes. little bit. We'll move on to the gem. It's Wu's turn in Al's office. Al has got to meet this San Francisco cocksucker to see how much juice he's got. Jews rubs his fingertips like rubbing for money because Jews love money. No, Jews. Juice. Juice? Forget the juice. We're hang die. <laughs> I love ha- that Wu doesn't know the word juice, but does know the word Jew. And I'll bet he, and I'll bet Wu knows every other ethnic slur or ethnic identificator that there is, we were, along with every curse word. Matt, Matt and I were learning Japanese through Rosetta Stone the other week, and uh, the Japanese... And I know, I know Japanese is not the same as Chinese. I'm not racist, guys. Um, <laughs> That's not what I heard in the last podcast. <laughs> just as a comparison, though, like, uh, the word for juice in Japanese is, uh, jusu. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. So maybe there isn't a, I don't know, they're kind of sort of like from the same branches kind of languages, like Mandarin or Cantonese or whatever in Japanese. So. Japanese, there's like three styles of writing, and one's called katakana, and it's basically a different characters for Americanized, like Western words. Mm. Like I think picnic is pigniku or something yes. like that. It's like they don't, they didn't have that word originally, but when they took it from Western language, they even they write it in a different alphabet. So it just makes me, yeah, so it just makes me wonder if um, Cantonese or man- Mandarin might have the same kind of thing i although i never hear it as bad as in Jap- the japanese language yeah. but, it, you would think juice would be something that all cultures would have they'd all have some sort of juice yeah <laughs> right know. yeah yeah and of course he's using it in a slang term as you know true power from somebody else but the fact that he immediately jew jew and he's like <laughs> over to look <laughs> at sal like, is it all behind us? And even, like, does the nose motion and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I always love how patient Al is with uh, with Wu. Yeah. Well, they're Hang Dai. I was trying to look up what Hang Dai meant, and of course, all I get is a, a hit on the internet from, I'm watching Deadwood right now. What does Hang Dai mean? <laughs> <laughs> Person says, from the sound of it, I think it could be the Cantonese phrase, Hang Dai meaning brothers or or brethren. And then there's some Chinese characters here that I don't know how to pronounce, but could mean a a partnership between an older brother and a younger brother. Aww. That's nice. (laughs) So basically brothers. Well, we'll say it means brothers. Okay. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. This scene with Sai, Leon, and Khan Sai has this uh, hypothetical question. Say Merrick were to come upon them saying that his newspaper office was ransacked. What would be your response? They'd say, go fuck yourself. It wasn't us. <laughs> so he has this, this confusing uh, parable. 
Yeah. He says, the referee's the only neutral in a prize fight, Merrick, and you ain't one of those. Meaning, I think, that you brought this on yourself. But Leon's very confused. Sai's very, uh, Khan's very confused. Sai says, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm confused, too. I'm also confused. <laughs> this is a weird scene. I don't like it. What's the end goal of picking on Merrick? Oh, um, to get Merrick to toe the line and uh, do what Sai and Hurst and the commissioners and everybody want him to do. Yeah, but you got to put the media in your pocket. Yeah. And oligarchs know this. Yep. You you got to put get the press on your side. When we were talking about the Molly Maguires, did I s- tell you that there's no actual evidence that the that they existed? No. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. No, you didn't t- say that. Okay, no actual evidence that they existed as a formal organization. Rather, the 60 men who were arrested by the police and the 20 men who were hanged by the state, they were called Molly Maguires in the press. The press labeled them as being comparable to the Ku Klux Klan, calling them ruthless murderers. They said that they were the Molly Maguires, and they basically deemed them this. Interesting. And that's the power of the press. Oh, yeah, yeah. They turn the victims into the perpetrators and make the perpetrators the victims. Yep. Sigh and Hearst, no, we got to get the pioneer on our side. Yep. So when when the mines collapse and the people die and all this this fallout that's going to happen happens, we can we can blame the victims. Right. What were they doing that caused the explosion? Obviously they weren't they weren't following procedures that had been set out. Right. So his I guess his analogy, size analogy is that um Merrick is not a referee in a in a neutral prize fight. He needs to pick a side. But he says it in such a way where Khan and Leon are looking at each other like, what? Yeah, we can parrot those words. What if, what if he inquires what, what we're talking about? What do we mean? And he says, well, I don't know, gentlemen. Uh, and I'm wondering, again, if this is kind of like meta commentary on the show. Like, we know that sometimes we talk in riddles. It's possible. Dan has bags of gold from Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee doesn't want it. And after he leaves... Wu comes out from hiding. He was a hider in the office. (laughs) And Wu knows that if Lee had turned down the gold, $20,000, he's got juice. (laughs) Al suspects that Mr. Lee works for Hearst. Everybody works for Hearst. Well, yeah, he's moving in. He's moving in on the town. I wonder if he'll arrive mysteriously or if it will be some large procession. Yeah, that that is a uh, yeah good point. Maybe he's there right now. Oh, that's maybe he's in that pile of antlers watching everybody. <laughs> just <laughs> guys, just okay. that 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 pile of antlers just moved. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine somebody like that is going to be uh, low profile, <laughs> especially that low profile. But I mean, even low profile. Um, on Matt and Mel's commentary. During this scene, you know, you guys are like, what is he doing? I don't know. And then all of a sudden, Wu comes out of the closet. <laughs> like, he was in the closet. <laughs> well, you know, it made so much sense when he popped out of the closet because yep. uh, I was like, okay, Al was trying to get across to Wu that he needed to meet with this guy and Wu was not buying it. It's like, you meet with him and and that means you're betraying me. So, okay. 
you stay in the closet and just be quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should have well, popped up behind him, out. killed him, and then fed, immediately fed him to his pigs. <laughs> what would have been the problem with that? Killing him, uh, Hurst will just send an, another guy. Yeah, he's replaceable. Yeah. Now, killing Alice, on the other hand, that, uh, because nobody else has had the, uh, would be able to say, oh, I was in her confidence. Alice's days might be numbered if she doesn't watch out. Because Al would take her out in a second. I bet you she knows hand-to-hand combat, though. (laughs) (laughs) She's also a ninja, in addition to being a steamboat pilot. That's right. (laughs) She spent time in Japan. She is so super smart that she's able to pretend to have other jobs. (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) Sai consoles Mr. W don't worry about the other madam go to the hotel eat if you can stand the food I'll tidy up your mess yeah I've got down that you know even while I was gagging you know even Sai was gagging but Sai has his hook now he played Wolcott like a fiddle yep he's and he tells him uh, all I couldn't provide was the cliff and so there's the cliff yep Stomach the food because Wolcott just killed three women or stomach the food because it's Mr. Farnum's absurd restaurant where they serve rancid bacon? Or both. Both. Both, but I think more on the latter. Seth apologizes to Saul for what he called Trixie. Now tell me about your meeting with Alma. So he says we're forming a bank. She never mentioned you, Seth. Also, she might be with child. Uh, is it a good idea for Saul to tell Seth this? Yes. Yeah. Gotta learn. Uh, based on what evidence? What if she's not? What if she is? Like, uh, uh, yeah, I guess maybe. Maybe it's not your business. Maybe, maybe wait and see if you actually have all the information before you just. That's um, true. Um, I think needs to know. Seth is a hothead, though. He does need to know, but it's true that. Saul, maybe Saul's mistaken. Maybe Saul needs to get confirmation first before he puts this in Seth's mind. Uh, right, because right now it's just speculation. It is just speculation, but Seth needs to get used to the idea. Mm. And I mean, he could go talk to Alma. It could make things worse. Could make them better. Who knows? It's hard to know. Probably would make it worse, though. And the thing is that what is he going to do? Wait until Alma's showing to yeah. to tell Seth? I mean, maybe you don't get involved because it's not your business. Maybe you go to Alma and say, "Look, you're obviously pregnant. Would you please tell my friend now?" Mm. And maybe then I have because if you don't, maybe then I have to because he'll he'll get you know he'll un- he'll figure out something's wrong and he'll blame me. So, lady, I'm giving you this opportunity to talk to him. But maybe he knew that she wouldn't do it. I don't think the social conventions of the time. It's a lot of presumption, I think, on Saul's part. I just, I don't like it when people get involved in other people's affairs. Saul, Saul knows Seth. He doesn't know Alma. So, giving Seth the information, to me, makes a lot more sense than considering the social conventions of the time, going to Alma, and asking a woman he doesn't really know if she's pregnant by his friend. 
and it doesn't feel like she's he's giving Seth information, but speculation. I mean, obviously she's pregnant. We know that, but Saul doesn't. It may be more obvious than you know, just her throwing up in a container you know? in a bowl. <laughs> yeah, it is night after an oversalted dinner. Lot's wife may have been in that food. Har har. <laughs> yeah. Uh- Bible jokes. Bible <laughs> humor is the best. <laughs> <laughs> so what was he? Sh- did it take him all day to show around town? I guess so. I mean, they stopped at the Bullock household. And he introduced her to Martha and William. What if he went to everybody's house? He's like, this oh, is where so-and-so lives. That's lame. So- Every hooplehead. No wonder she left him at the end of the day. <laughs> they had a dinner. I showed her around camp. Plus, we don't know what time they... I probably... I'm going to say they came in at 11 o'clock in the morning. I have no idea why I came up at that time. <laughs> That's the time you would like to arrive. I guess they came in around 10.30-ish. <laughs> and now it's 6 p.m., so seven hours. They had lunch, they had a late, late, you know, late lunch, probably took about 90 minutes. Service was slow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how long they've been walking around. Maybe they stopped for a matinee. Matt's been uh-huh. writing up the whole itinerary in no case idea. someone asked. <laughs> anyway, they go back to his office. He finds it in disarray. Also, Miss Stokes smells something for she covers her nostrils. Oh. Weird. I didn't notice this at first, uh, but you guys noticed it right away that she smelled something. Mm. Yeah. I didn't know what it was until later <laughs> when it was discussed. Here's another nice segue because. We get Steve saying, oh, shit. <laughs> Steve's at the livery. He's been <laughs> masturbating on Bullock's horse. At oh, least he's not truly fucking it, though. Yes. <laughs> Hostetler sneaks up behind him. He's about to hit Steve with the shovel, but then he hesitates because what are you doing? <laughs> and we get an amazing line here, amazing quote. In case anyone has it for their quotes, we won't I've say I've got it. Cool. If no one else does, I've got it. Very good. Um, uh, this is f- what this is kind of crazy. <laughs> He's masturbating on a horse. Mm-hmm. Not just on a horse, on the horse's leg of every of all. What? What? <laughs> I assume he's still drunk. I assume he's perma drunk. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if he wasn't? <laughs> hmm. This is just how he behaves. So he's sick enough to masturbate on the horse, but. He just can't bring himself to bestiality, I guess. I don't know. It yeah. it almost seemed like he was proud of himself for not actually indulging in bestiality. Maybe, maybe he's got unrequited feelings for horses, and he's mm. like trying to fight the feeling, yeah, but just so. can't quite do it. <laughs> I'm just picking so. things up. <laughs> I'm serious. Don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> he kept, you know, and it wasn't like when he kept saying that, you know, he hadn't actually done anything to the horse itself. It wasn't like he was, you know, like, I didn't do it. I didn't. Do it. it was more like, well, no, I didn't do that. Yeah. It was like that was one I didn't take. I restrained myself from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I restrained myself. He had to hold back. <laughs> it's what it seemed like. It was so weird. I wanted to fuck that horse, 
But I didn't quite do that. Like the horse should consider itself lucky that I did. <laughs> <laughs> As should Bullock. I'd like to believe that after Steve leaves, the horse says to like another horse, you will not believe the day I just had. <laughs> <laughs> did he actually complete his task? I, didn't, yes. I couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. he did. Yeah. 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 He did. Gross. Oh. The first person hanged in the Massachusetts Bay Colony back in 1642 is named Thomas Granger or Gronger. He was 16 or 17 years old and he was hanged because he was convicted of buggery with a mare, a cow, two goats, <gasps> diverse sheep, two calves, and a turkey. Oh. What? So in keeping with the Bible, with Leviticus, and if a man shall lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death and ye shall slay the beast. He was hanged. And the animals involved were slaughtered and thrown into a large pit uh, for disposal. It's not their fault. Oh, not their fault. It's so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, the first, not the first person killed in the colonies, but the first person killed in Massachusetts. I want. So, so did they? You said they got rid of the bodies. They didn't eat them. That was no. They oh. just. Spoiled. Destroy the destroy the animals. Gross! Yeah. All that jizz all over the place. Gross. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Poor Thomas Granger, uh, or Granger of sixteen years old, shouldn't have slept with all those animals. Yeah. That's not what animal husbandry animal husbandry means. <laughs> <laughs> Poor sixteen-year-old kid. <laughs> Merrick comes upon Cy. He blames what happened at his office on his refusal to associate the pioneer with Yankton's notice about the claims. Cy says, maybe if you had calmed the waters, the hoopals wouldn't have, would have gone to get their load on. The lesson, with fucked up machinery, the press can't function at all. Merrick recognizes Cy as the lesson's author and asks, was the defecation really necessary? Was it? Did they have to shit in my office? Uh, and now we know what she was smelling. Poor Merrick. Yeah. He had such a great day. He did. <laughs> and then it didn't turn out so great. <laughs> Fields comes upon Hostetler and Steve, who is tied to an anvil. I did not fuck that horse. Hostetler's plan is to kill Steve. You have to die, Steve. Fields wants Hostetler to let Steve go. God acting through... Well, I'm not going to say that word. And showing mercy for a man who tarred another man and fucked a horse. I did not fuck that horse. Fields has an idea. Have Steve sign a confession that he did fuck that horse. I did not fuck that horse. <laughs> and then they'll let him go. Ingratitude. After Steve signs and leaves, Hostetler admits he fell asleep because he took a drink. He hasn't taken a drink in 17 years. He appreciated the message relayed by Jane. Hostetler feels so guilty about what he did to General Fields that he took a drink... He fell asleep, and that's when uh, Steve snuck in to masturbate on that horse. Yep. Hostetler does still seem a little drunk. It's not his fault. That's not something you would ever expect to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy that whole scene with Steve and everything else. Hey, do we think that Steve is going to straighten up, or is he going to go back to being a jerk? Hmm. Will we see Steve again? <laughs> no, that's a good point, too. <laughs> Has he had his run and that'll be the end of him? You know, the thing is, this is not really a uh, a, a usable confession because he could have <laughs> easily signed anything and they crossed out that part and just wrote, I fucked Bullock's horse on it, making it look like he signed a confession. 
Yeah, but Steve isn't going to be smart enough to figure that out either. Because said, oh, I didn't have payment, so I signed a, a note saying, yeah, I'll pay you later, and I owe you. I didn't know they were going to cross that off and write, I fucked a horse. Obviously, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. But maybe but maybe his friends would have been like, no, that does sound like something you would do. <laughs> you were talking about it in in the bar. It's true. Hey, we were counting N-words or N-bombs. Oh, were we? This uh, episode, uh, we only get one for the entire duration of the episode. Uh, it comes right here. General Field says it. Yes. Can God act through a uh, <clears throat> <laughs> and show mercy for a man who had tarred another man and fucked a horse? I did not fuck a horse. Did I say one? Did I say zero? We will address that when we get to the end. <laughs> and we are nearly there. Dinner at the Bullock household. Martha met Mary Stokes today. She is delighted the teacher has finally arrived. And she notices Seth is just kind of poking at his dinner. He's very quiet. Thinking about his baby. Yep. Al had a productive day. Johnny is very proud of his boss. Doc hopes that Al is not associated with those new Chinese prostitutes. Al wants to muscle up. So he's going to send Dan to Cheyenne. He wants to keep Johnny close. (laughs) He inquires about crop ear, but crop ear is eh, not available. Oh, Doc was there when the uh, Chinese prostitutes arrived, and he gave, like, a very judgmental look. Yeah. Because I was trying to remember who was there. I couldn't remember who that character was. was it was yeah, the it doctor. Was Doc. And, then he, and he, then he just bowed his head and got out. But it, when he asked Al about that, it was like, Al just does love to tweak the, the Doc. Yeah. He says, I'm sure this is no one's quote, so I'll just say it. He says... No, but I did make friends with their pimp. Yeah. <laughs> no, one and only quote. Damn. Oh, <laughs> not true. Not true. You can have one of my six. <laughs> I have a ton of quotes on this one for some reason. Dan says to Doc, they've been coming at Al in waves, and you stood them all the fuck off. And Johnny adds, he he to stop Sherman, shy of the sea. I'm going to read this info here, but maybe Stephanie will contradict it, because uh, this, this is regarding uh, Georgia, and we know that's Sterling where Stephanie, Stephanie lives, in, lives in Georgia. No, so, I don't uh, live in Georgia. Lives in- I thought you did! No, I live Alabama. in Alabama. Alabama. It's the oh, other fucking way. fucking hell. Fucking hell. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, William Tecumseh Sherman, General in the Union Army, from November 15th until December 21st, 1864, General Sherman led 60,000 soldiers on a 285-mile march from Atlanta to Savannah. The purpose of Sherman's march to the sea was to frighten Georgia's civilian population into abandoning the Confederate cause. Sherman's soldiers did not destroy any of the towns in their path, but they stole food and livestock and burned the houses and barns of people who tried to fight back. The Yankees were not only fighting hostile armies, but a hostile people, Sherman explained. As a result, they need to make old and young, rich and poor, feel the hard hand of war. And then they named a tank after him. So Al Al is in such good spirits that he could have stopped Sherman's march. Yeah, and Al has to make an appearance on his balcony because the whole town is used to seeing him. Yep. Yep. It also made me think of the Pope. Hmm. And, hmm. and, and royalty and so forth coming out on the balcony. 
Or um, Ava Perone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, something I heard the other day on a podcast. Somebody said, I haven't looked this up, but um, that David Milch went to HBO and wanted to do a show about power in Rome. But HBO said no because they already had plans for Rome. And so he said, okay, well, I'll just set it in, a, in another time. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Rome was a good series, too. Yeah. Yeah, the, David Milch originally wanted to do something about police during the time of Nero. Once HBO said, no, we got a show about Rome. It was going to be about, like, um, I don't know, Christianity coming into that time and being like uh, how it motivated the characters during that time period. And he just kind of changed the symbol from the cross to gold and how gold changes Hmm. people's behaviors and motivations. And anyway, Hmm. interesting. Yeah. I'll see if I can find more about that and put it on the Facebook group. Joni's girls emerge from a, from the dress store under a quilt, I think possibly a sheet, but they're, they're hiding under some sort of fabric, and they all climb into Charlie's wagon. Joni stealthily gives one of the girls Jack's $1,400, says, Split it three ways, Enid. Never come back. Yep. Charlie drives the wagon out of camp. Joni walks away. She looks up at Al. He nods. Yeah. My last thing is, hmm, Al and Joni. Yeah, will Joni take refuge at Al's? You know what? One of the things I... I thought was thinking about later. It was like Joni and Trixie. Wouldn't they make a cool team? Mm. Now they could run a whorehouse. I look at it more like Al just recognizes Joni as a worthwhile person. He's just sort of like, I'm acknowledging you and you're I mean you're very clearly a smooth operator. Like you're taking care of business. You're not a hopelhead. Right. She's she's just kinda like I I tip my hat to you because I see you down there making maneuvers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though he probably doesn't know exactly what's gonna go what's going on. But he I, I don't know. I just like to imagine that he looks at her and he sees uh somebody of a lot of worth. I think he files stuff away. I think he he observes, he sees stuff going on. He may not know what it means right then, but he files it away for future reference. When he gets the rest of the information, all the pieces fall into place and he knows what's happening. And Joni is one of those pieces. But I I think it would be cool to see more of, you know, those two. Because have they even ever had a scene together? Uh, Yes. The very first time she came into camp... Episode three, he goes over to the uh, Bella Union, and uh, yeah, that's when we get that great line of hers when she says, "Oh, I speak French." Right, right, right. But since then, probably not. Well, your predictions regarding the N words. We only got the one from Fields. Matt predicted three. Mel said a dozen. Carol said twelve. <laughs> so we're gonna. We're going to give it to Matt. Yay! Because <laughs> he, he was closest. I knew my tactic would, would work. You knew watching the episode ahead of time and then coming up with the prediction and <laughs> not being spot on exactly to throw us off the trail, but close enough that you would win. 
How'd yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, Mel predicted that the something very expensive would be either an abortion, a divorce, a baby, or an auction of the most eligible bachelors in town, George Hurst. <laughs> Not yet, but it will happen. She also gave a prediction uh, that Chinatown would throw a potluck dim sum dinner for Deadwood, and it's very expensive. Mm, that sounds good. Dim sum. <laughs> Matt predicted that Alma is going to try to buy EB's hotel again, and will throw her pitcher of vomit at him. <laughs> <laughs> no. And Carol predicted that the something very expensive will be something of value that is more than money. I guess if you think that human life is value and worth, then Blech. you'd be correct, Carol. Oh, uh, why should I think that? But they're just prostitutes, so, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think this very expensive could also mean a very expensive cleanup of a murder. Yep. Mm. Uh, feedback from Harold. Carol, will you read this? Who is more morally culpable? Wolcott? who butchers three women but does so out of some sort of mental illness or compulsion, or Maddie, who recruits the prostitutes and sits in wait, counting on Wolcott to do this in order to blackmail him. I think this episode goes to show why prostitutes traditionally align themselves with pimps for protection instead of doing it themselves. You have to give credit to the actor who plays Steve. He accepted this role knowing that he would be playing a violent, drunk racist who fucks a horse, Oh, excuse me, comes on a horse, and he plays the hell out of it with 100% commitment. I think that Bullock is similar to Wolcott, only different in degrees. Like Wolcott, he used violence against another to deal with his anger and frustration. I do like that Bullock is self-aware enough to realize that he sought out Steve, even though I was unnerved that he smiled as he said it and seemed to be relishing the memory of it. I'm not quite sure what was up with that guy at the bar who gets Steve to go get some revenge. I'm not sure if he believes what he is saying is so drunk that he doesn't give a shit or is just getting his jollies egging Steve on. I tend to think that he started off earnestly, but when Steve suggests fucking Bullock's horse, it's so idiotic that he just encouraged him further for sheer amusement. Oh, and like I said, and... I like that both Steve and General have the same last name. Oh. They do? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. Poor Merrick. It was going so well with the school teacher up until the end, although I thought it was a little bit odd the way he was crushing on her as soon as she arrived, solely based on, their, on her occupation. If he hadn't been sidetracked with the vandalism and feces and stuff, I think he might have gone out shopping for a ring. I just love the way Ellsworth wonders whether the widow will have him. I give this 9 out of 10 San Francisco Coxacas Aju. <laughs> uh, I didn't know about Steve's last name. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. What is it? Having... He's saying it's the same as Fields? So it's Steve both... Fields? I guess so. I don't They're know. actually brothers. They're hanged eye. <laughs> uh, who's more more morally culpable, Maddie or Wilcott? I say Maddie. Wilcott has a weird compulsion that he can't stop himself. Uh, she's she's exploiting that. That's worse. I add Sai to that. Who's worse? Yes. Sai, Maddie, or Wilcott? Uh, Answer is always going to be Sai. Fuck Sai. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, Maddie and Cy are pretty well up there. I mean, Maddie planned the whole thing, and Cy saw the plan and took advantage of it and put the whole thing into motion on purpose. But then he comes in and wants to kind of, he'll say, I'll cover it up and take care of it. And Whereas Maddie, I think, was fluctuating between shame and guilt and her willingness to do it. So I want to say that he's more, he's able to live with it more than she does. She's able to. Therefore, he's worse than her. If I had to rank them, I'd put her, him at the top, then Maddie, then Wilcott at the bottom. Even though Wilcott's awful, I feel like he can't control himself. Whereas Cy and Maddie, they wind him up, watch him go. You give Maddie more credit than I do. Okay. I, I really think that she was, she did have a little bit of guilt at different times, but I think by the end there, it was all just pure excitement that finally she was going to get her money. Finally, she was going to be taken care of. And as for the uh, for Rutherford, the hoople head at the bar, I think he just enjoyed sh- uh, mingling the shit or stirring the shit or whatever, <laughs> whatever the phrase is, stirring up shit. Yeah. Being a shit disturber. A shit stirrer. Matt, read this one from Barb. Okay. I noticed that in this episode, some of the residents of Deadwood find their positions reversed, but most of them end up where they started. Al's returning to health and back behind his desk with a little help. Trixie's the first to gain an audience, and Wu seems seem to understand anyone else suck his prick just fine. She debriefs Al on all on the activities at the hardware. Uh, including some intimate de- details about Saul, but I think that she's sparing Al's feelings here. In any case, their rift now appears fully mended. Commissioner Jerry, Jari, Jerry, leaves on angry terms with Cy and Walcott, so eager to depart that he rudely climbs over Mary Stokes before she can disembark from the stage clo- stagecoach. Merrick is quite taken with the new school teacher. Perhaps he needs new confidence following his defiance of the commissioner, and she picks up on it because they seem to hit it off quite well. Unfortunately for him, Cy soon enlists Leon and Stapleton to arrange a harsh harsh lesson. Can Trixie have been thinking about Alma's predicament all along? She comes up with a suggestion that Ellsworth marries her that Ellsworth marry her as soon as he confides that he's figured out her condition. And it's certainly a good solution, should the parties agree. Meanwhile, Seth is furi- furious when Saul tells him that Alma has asked him to consider becoming an officer in the bank that she proposes to start. When all Seth and Saul had previously agreed was that they would not go to Alma to discuss the n- a new bank. Did we ever see that conversation, by the way? Yeah. We did? Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was like a couple episodes ago. It was a very brief kind of mm. yeah. scene. So. Yeah. He storms out of the hardware and takes it out on Steve, drunken and easy to manipulate Steve, who's at Tom Nuttall's saloon. A stranger, I think. Have we seen this guy before? Nope. Encourages Steve's anger and sends him out into the thoroughfare, thinking evil thoughts about Bullock's poor horse. This is truly unfair, as the horse has no dog in this fight. The horse could have kicked him. <laughs> the horse should have came back at him. <laughs> uh, no. He's got a bigger, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah? Eat this. Damn. Um, gross. Uh, that was very gross. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Al instantly sees through Miss Isringhausen, but she is unfazed as she sets out the terms offered for his collaboration in framing Alma for Brahm's murder. Silas is shocked at her coldness and dismayed at how much a fool he now looks to Al, but he's still game for a fuck. <laughs> Their pillow talk does nothing to make her look better. I don't believe that she has done... I don't believe that she really had nothing to do with those 42 miners, and I don't think he does either. Sai attempts to blackmail Wolcott and Doris's new news about his violence toward the women at Cheyami. Walcott answers that Hearst, Hearst knows about his proclivities and is indifferent, but he is enraged. Like Seth, Walcott looks for someone to take this out on as he passes a gutted animal carcass and a man brandishing a cleaver. He mutters that Doris must not be left past surprise. Horrible things happen. Do you need a break, Matt? Do you want me to take over? Um, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty long. <laughs> yeah. Joni goes to Sai for help after the killings, which puts him back into control over Wolcott. Seth apologized to Saul, and Saul tells him that Alma seems to be pregnant. Merrick and Mary Stokes return from their idyllic tour of the camp to find the newspaper office vandalized and desecrated. Merrick will confront Sai to learn that, contrary to his earlier opinion, a free press will not be a feature of, the, of a town where Hearst is in control. I needed a moment to take that in, in relation to Hearst's offspring. Mary is going to hop on the next stagecoach as rapidly as Jari did this morning, leaving Merrick impotent and alone. Hostetler finds Steve getting way, way too friendly with Seth's horse. His comment? What else did you learn at that school that teach you that? <laughs> is it callback to what Steve said to him last week, when Steve and the Hoopleheads found him writing his will? This time, the general is the voice of reason to Hostetler and persuades him to hold Steve's signed confession rather than killing Steve and then himself. Steve seems to be genuinely grateful for this, and the language is lovely throughout the scene. Dinner at the Bullock's house is painfully awkward. His new intimacy with his wife is forgotten as Seth considers Alma's pregnancy, leaving Martha confused. After a day of catching up on events during his illness, Al decides to send sh to Cheyenne for reinforcements. He sends Dan over Johnny, tactfully suggesting that Johnny is indispensable in Deadwood. Silas is not even mentioned. Dan seems to be back as Al's second-in-command. Joni sends the remaining Shazami girls away with Charlie Utter, presumably to return to the Bella Union, which she had thought to escape. She and Al share a moment of eye contact. Have they ever met? This is such a good reminder of how insular so many of Deadwood's groups are. And the show ends with Al back on the balcony of the gym, back where he belongs. Surveying all he commands. <laughs> mm -hmm. He is like the king or the pope. Mm -hmm. Yep, coming out on the balcony so everyone can see him and see he's okay. <laughs> and a and a cheer goes up from the crowd. Al's back! Yay! <laughs> Hooray! Should have, but it didn't. <laughs> no. Do you think he would have liked it if that happened? I think he would have been a little confused. <laughs> Thanks? <laughs> um, Let's play some audio feedback. Got some audio feedback from Ina. You're off my kill list, Ina. <laughs> She'll sleep better tonight. Hi, Hooplecast. This is Ina. Hi. 
I was supposed to be with you for this episode, season two, episode six. Something very expensive, uh, but some family business got in the way, uh, and I'm sending in some feedback instead. This episode is a great one, um, especially because uh, the sequence where Wolcott um, goes to the Shazami, um and he kills Doris and Carrie and Maddie, <coughs> who tries to blackmail him. That's really horrifying, and it's very ominous the way he goes down the street uh, with that little monologue. And uh, you feel something's going to happen, and but it was very well shot, I thought, and very memorable. Um, he's a cruel man, uh, and Sai helps him cover it up. Um, and they're both horrible, horrible people. Uh, another horrible person is that Steve guy <laughs> with the horse. Ugh. <laughs> Um, and, uh, whoever, um, molested, uh, Merrick's office, um, Con and Leon, uh, they're also gross, uh, poor <laughs> school teacher, uh, by the way, why has a school teacher come to town? We only have two kids there, do we not? Maybe there's some other ones we haven't seen. Uh, it was great seeing Al back in the office, uh, receiving <laughs> everyone um, from Farnham to um, to Mr. Wu with the Jews and Jews. Oh, that cracked me up. Um, and I also loved seeing Ellsworth and Trixie. In the back room there, where Trixie suggests he make a decent woman out of Alma and go ahead and marry her uh, because she's pregnant. Um, yeah, I really love this episode. I'm so sad I couldn't be with you, but um, I hope you have a good time um, going through this episode. And bye for now. Bye, Ina. Bye. I want Mary Stokes in this in a schoolroom teaching William, Sophia, and Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> I want that too. I mean, I was assuming that there were more kids in town that we just haven't seen, but I mean, I guess it could be that Seth and Alma are footing most of the bill for the school teacher to come in and and that it will make the town seem more respectable in the eyes of Yankton. Hmm, maybe. Maybe they can have adult education classes in the evenings for all those hoople heads. There's gotta be... There's gotta be other kids in town. Yeah, I mean, we saw... What's his name? The kid who was leaving. He's been there, and we didn't know about him. I'm sure there's other yeah. around. And in the first episode, the Squarehead family left town, and they had like three right. kids. So, right, yeah, people there's, will come in. They bring their kids, uh, or they have kids when they're there. I mean, yeah, this isn't like Grand Theft Auto, where it's an entire city and you never see any children anywhere, mm-hmm. and you wonder <laughs> where where are the kids.
Why can I not run them over? With yeah, where are the kids? I want to run them over. <laughs> exactly. There probably aren't many, but you know, I mean, I'm sure there's enough for for a one room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's Jonathan. While I was watching this episode, I found myself pondering the misfortune of Doris. Poor Doris. Misused by Cy, mistrusted by Joni, misliked by the other girls, and finally murdered by Mr. Wolfram. Wolcott. Wolcott. Yes. Uh-huh. His name is Wolcott. Yes. Um, Miss Isringhausen's plot is becoming a little clearer. She does seem to be working for Brom Garrett's family, although... I am a little unclear on what the end result of her plot is supposed to be and how it's supposed to take shape. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that, though. I think Silas probably needs to decide whether or not he uh, remembers that he's working for Al. I feel like he's probably going to be placed in an uncomfortable situation pretty soon. Uh, I did enjoy this episode, although it was hard to watch. Um... Joni, I'm unclear on what her next move will be. Uh, I don't know how we're going to deal with Mr. Wolcott, but I hope it's uh, viciously and brutally in a wood chipper. (laughs) (laughs) No wood chippers, definitely. Good to see Al conducting business again. Uh, Even if he did have to meet a big San Francisco cocksucker who is not impressed by his money, uh, I think that's probably going to be a pretty big clue to Al as to who he's dealing with. It's it's a small number of people in the U.S. at this time, or even right now, but uh, that wouldn't be impressed by that amount of money. And if his rival, if he can't bribe the underlings of his rival rivals, then uh, it seems pretty clear that's a small number of people that he could possibly be dealing with. Ricky J. Watch, uh, there was no Ricky J. in this episode. That brings our total number of Ricky J. appearances this season up to zero, which is an all-time low for every season of Deadwood so far. <laughs> the board queen violated the number one rule of pointing a gun at someone. When you point a gun at someone, you need to be willing to shoot them. Otherwise, uh, they have an advantage over you. Unfortunately, she wasn't willing to give up her retirement plan, so... He had an advantage over her. Have I said fuck Sai yet? Fuck Sai. What else happened this episode? Um, oh, yes. Steve fucked a horse. Uh, <laughs> no, he didn't. I have to say this episode was a little bit difficult to watch. It had some moments that were more than just cringeworthy, but actually really difficult to sit through. Uh, I had more than a few moments where I just wished the camera would move away from what we were watching. Um but other than that, it was it was certainly a compelling episode, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, and I think that's about it for this one, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, we'll get into whether or not we thought things were cringeworthy when we talk about the ratings. Let's uh, we'll circle back to that. Let's just play the last audio feedback from Will. Hey guys, you all know my name. Say it. <laughs> Say it. Um, anyway, so last night I went to the uh, Deadwood unscripted thing at the local 
uh, one of it's a local improv group, I guess, that does this. And basically, they improv an episode of Deadwood, like in an alternate universe, I guess, episode of Deadwood. And some of the characters were sock puppets. And it was pretty good. Um, you know, improv is hard for what I hear, and some of the actors are better than others. But, you know, I had a good time. It was worth the uh, $10 I spent. Um, see, I think, yeah, Saul was a puppet. Doc Cochran was a puppet, and Al was a puppet, but the rest were actors. I think Wu was actually played by a female. And... um so it was basically the, at the beginning they asked the audience for a story that could carry over from the previous weeks. For instance, if there was a previous week, and they came up with the idea of the telegraph being down. So that was kind of the story that was going throughout the episode. It turns out that um, Wild Bill sabotaged the telegraph. So. <laughs> And the actress that played Jane was really good. She sounded a lot like Jane. And the guy that did Al was really good. And Trixie, Trixie was funny, but all she really had to do was say cunt and fuck, and she was funny. She was trying to figure out a way to market her pussy because no, they didn't have a lot of customers, so she was coming up with some marketing ideas. <laughs> and... I know there was no Joni. There are some sock puppet characters that I didn't recognize, so I didn't know if they were made-up characters or you know, characters I don't remember from seasons two and three. But you know, overall, it was a good show. Good show. Had a good time. But as far as this new episode, something very expensive. Have you ever noticed that Timothy Oliphant gets first billing over Ed McShane? Is that right? Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like that Sal, uh, Cy got smacked down by Mr. Wolcott, but in the end he kind of, you know, maybe back on equal footing. I don't know. Miss Isringhausen, I guess she knew there had to be more to her. Yeah. I don't know what's happening there, but part of that got me was the scene in the brothel with Miss Wolcott, I mean, Mr. Wolcott, and uh, that was just so terrifying and creepy. And, man, I don't, know, I don't remember what's going to happen with there. And the horse fucking scene was just gross. <laughs> I don't know what say about horse fucking. <laughs> Maybe it's better than pig fucking. I don't know. It's <laughs> better, horse fucking or pig fucking. <laughs> At the end, you see Al looking over the city. They did talk about that in the improv thing last night, how Al's always looking over everybody. But overall, I really enjoyed the episode. Just more good stuff. It's interesting to see what's going to happen with Joni next. Now, this episode is like when you find out that somebody you know, maybe your friend or your partner is into some really weird porn. Like I've found out a lot of my, well, a few of my friends are into uh, hermaphroditic porn. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not where I would go to. Hmm personally but yeah then you have to that's in the back of your mind like every time you talk to them right and you're like oh dude you like bestiality and whatnot so i will talk to you guys later just for the record i did not fuck that horse goodbye bye Bye. i want richardson as a sock puppet please how do you yeah how do you improv as woo (laughs) Mm. you guys 
A lot of cocksuckers. Yeah. How do you do a, a puppet Deadwood theater and not have EB as a puppet? He sounds like a puppet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he'd already. be a great puppet. EB and Richardson, best puppets ever. You know those, like, horse heads on, like, brooms yes. where, like, the kids can ride? I'm just mm-hmm. imagining a puppet masturbating on one of those. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Steve the puppet. <laughs> Can you believe it? We have one final bit of feedback, and it's written feedback from Corey. Oh. Um, Is everyone off the murder list this time? I think I think so. Once again, murder list, great idea. <laughs> <laughs> can't can't slit anybody's throat. <laughs> no, nope, not this time. No, I can't ruin a brothel. If Stephanie's still here, and she wants to, she can read it. Sure. Hello, Hoopleheads, and happy fucking Thanksgiving to Matt and Mel. Thanks! (laughs) And congratulations. You are now at the halfway point of the series. Oh, sweet. Al seems to be on the mend, and certainly seems plenty formidable. Trixie's reporting to him like old times. Doesn't she have any loyalty to poor Saul? I guess she doesn't know any other way or how to reciprocate Saul's kindness. Al's meeting with Miss Isringhausen. Have I mentioned I like the name Isringhausen? And he's got her pegged right off the bat. I don't know how much he saw of her fake persona, but I believe Al would have recognized the rattle on her tail right away. I had assumed that Hurst would be aware of Wilcott's inclinations, but after Sy's subtle threats and despite Wilcott's protestations, I now wonder if he truly does, especially after his reaction was to run straight over to Shay on me and murder three women. And that was, uh, so gruesome. I can handle, I can, I can handle monsters ripping people's chests open or biting people's heads clean off or whatever, but the throat slitting of two young women and basically helpless women really disturbs me. Yes, me too. I even feel bad for Maddie, although not nearly uh, to the same extent as I do for Doris, Carrie, Joni, etc. To me, Maddie saw Wilcott as an opportunity to uh, for a huge payday, knowing she could be sentencing a young woman to death. But once Wilcott arrived in the camp and the situation become more and more uh, reality, it ate away more and more at her conscience. Wil- Wilcott certainly wants to keep his secret. How well is Cy going to uh, wield his power now uh, he has over Wilcott? He seems to have been overpaying his overplaying his hand a lot lately. Would even someone like Wilcott have $100,000 to pay? Speaking of which, Cy seems to have just made an enemy of the press. I wonder if this will fall in Al's favor. As it seems, no one can stay neutral. Merrick may be forced to choose sides, and I cannot imagine him choosing Cy after this. When I first watched Deadwood, it was uh, the same time True Detective was airing, which is probably why Hubblehead Steve felt oddly familiar to me, but I couldn't place him. Originally, I thought... He was Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Do you guys think Steve will hold up his end of the bargain when he's forced into uh, with Samuel Fields and Hostetler? I wonder how Seth is going to react to the news that his horse was violated by Steve. 
What will become of the Shayami and Joni now? She sent the surviving horse off, and her partner is dead, so I don't see her continuing her business. Perhaps General Fields will turn it into a theater and direct Shakespearean plays. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe maybe Doc Cochran and Jane will turn it into a hospital. Perhaps the new school teacher will turn it into her classroom. Any students who act out will be sent to the murder room to scrub bread. Blood stains. Until next time. <laughs> oh, I love that. Jimmy, be quiet, or I'll make you scrub that blood stain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he, he asked, would Wilcott have $100,000? I think Hearst just pays Wilcott's debts just to keep things under control. Don't you think? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he's got to have money. Do you guys think that Steve will hold up his end of the bargain that he was forced into by Fields and Hostetler? Mm. So he would be a decent guy. I don't I know if he'll. So. I don't know if he'll be decent, but mm. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to even tell if we'll see him again. <laughs> but I guess they've started this storyline, so we probably will. Otherwise, Hostetler and yeah, the general black. First, but... What's that? Carol, you said something. Oh, I said at first I didn't think so, but then by the time he left, I thought he probably would. But when somebody's drunk, who knows what they're going to do? Well, thank you for the feedback, Barb, Corey, Harold, Ina, Jonathan, and Will. Yay! That was awesome. Thanks, guys. Merci. All right, let's move on to ratings. Stephanie, what'd you think of this episode? What's your rating? Well, it it is becoming clear. I'm understanding it better, and if I rate it on uh, how affected I was, I give it 10 out of 10 hidden woos. Oh. <laughs> now whenever I open a closet and I don't see Mr. Woo inside, I'm going to be so disappointed. <laughs> uh, Matt. I liked it. I find lately all the episodes have been like not, like, not standing out uh, mm. against each other. They're all good. But like, like, uh, but th- this one had you know the whole Walcott murder thing, so that put it up you know in my memory a little bit more than the past few. I'll give it a eight point five out of ten sticky horse legs. Uh, <laughs> grotesque. <laughs> Carol, why don't you tell us your uh, rating? So I I like this episode. It moved along. It solved some of the the mysteries and things it um had some great scenes in it i'm gonna give it nine out of ten well-financed serial killers very good mel i don't have a rating (laughs) um i kind of Um, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to give it 7 out of 10. Uh, uh, I don't know. I just feel this, even with this conclusion to this thing, it's not great for me. It's not doing it for me still. Nope. I'm kind of glad. I'm hoping it's over. I'm hoping it's almost over. What, roll cut? You mean? Yeah. So you're going to give it the same as last week? Yeah. You're going to give it 7? Yeah. Okay. 
have fond memories of this one and the three throat slit because at the time it felt very shocking. Now with the way that television moves at such a fast pace, these kinds of things don't feel quite as pivotal as they used to. Like Game of Thrones can do this every scene every week. It, so Walking Dead, <laughs> same thing. Yeah, this this was shocking at the time. Uh, I don't think it quite has the same impact. Of course, I expect it, but I like how it builds the tension, and I'm scared for Joni, and it it feels game changing uh, for the series. It definitely feels like a mid-season kind of episode that things are shifting in a big way. But there's a lot other things I don't really like about this episode, like Psy and Khan and Leon and and Merrick. I'm not a fan of all those plots. So the only other thing that, I, that this episode for me really has going for it is Al being kind of like uh, the king mm-hmm. and his, his little bell <laughs> and, and just having all of his minions and people like parade in his office and stuff. That was fun. So uh, I'm not going to give it a 10 like I thought I was when I first sat down to watch it because, again, I had these memories that it was so shocking and good. But I, I will give it a 9 out of 10 horrors not past surprise. Stephanie, who's your character of the episode? Oh, definitely Wolcott. Wolcott? Yes. Hmm. Because hmm. we know, we understand him so much better. Or maybe it was uh, Stephanie's feedback last episode that helped me understand just what a sicko he is. Okay, Matt. I want to give it to... Al, just because I, I like seeing, seeing him up and around again and being Same. in charge. Same. Same. Same? Mm-hmm. Carol, who's your character? Oh, I'm having a hard time with this one because I kind of agree with Steph that Wolcott, I mean, I feel like we've we've come to some closure with him in a way, but I hate Wolcott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's really, I don't really want to make it Wolcott. I'm trying to think of who else had enough in the episode to really, but everybody was spread pretty thin. Al, yeah, it was really good to see Al up, but, oh, I have to go with Wolcott. I don't want to, but I have to. Okay. So we have two votes for Wolcott and two for Al. Although, back in episode two of the series, Mel said she would never choose Al as her character of the week. Oh, wow. Ooh. I wrote it down, because I had a feeling that she would change her mind. <laughs> yeah, I like Al. But has it has it <laughs> taken this long? Is this the first time she's come up with Al? Yep. Well, oh, you mean, like, to pick Al? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I it, still it, it li- liked him for a while, though. Um, I'm, I am also loath to pick Wolcott as my character of the episode because I don't like him. But, you know, I did pick Jack McCall that one time, and I picked Psy for being awful when he killed Miles and Flora, so I'm going to have to go with Wolcott because he really shook things up. So since you voted for Jack McCall one time and Wolcott another time, does that mean that they get two votes like as one? No, because they're different characters. (laughs) (laughs) No, but nice try. (laughs) Quotes. Stephanie, do you have a quote for me? Let's not appear as fucking triplets. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Carol? 
We're done talking about this. If you keep it up, we'll fight, and you'll have to work by yourself while I convalesce. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that was a great. Saul knows exactly what, what would happen in yep. a fight. So. Yep. Um, Mel. Go fuck yourself. Hey. <laughs> Literally, it's Leon. <laughs> oh, he says, if you, ain't, if you ain't here to be fuck or be fleeced, get on your merry way. <laughs> okay. But yes, go fuck yourself. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> At the risk of b- again being told to go fuck myself, Matt, do you have a quote? Ding a 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 ding. That's that's the sound of a bell. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. <laughs> In case it wasn't clear. Dude, that's the sound of a bell. <laughs> hmm. Alright. Um mine is American Sigh. And of the dog defecating in my office with ruffians dispatched by you as the lesson's author. I doubt they had a dog with them. (laughs) I've got like five others, a lot of which have kind of been alluded to throughout the podcast. Okay, give me two more. Okay. um, You need to die, Steve. (laughs) I love how he came out with that. Mm. And... Overall, sir, I call you a miracle. Very nice. Got this quote from Silas to Alice. I guess if I called you a cunt, I needn't expect you to faint. (laughs) So in other words, she's not a lady. No. No. Oh, and here's one from Al. How's the Jew fucking going? (laughs) (laughs) No other quotes, Mal? Who loves quotes so much? Fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, okay. I forgot about that one. <laughs> I walked right into that. <laughs> I'm going to repeat the one that I said at the very beginning, because after we've talked about all of this, it again, this phase is almost over even as another one begins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Halfway through. Yep. I got to meet him, woo. Cocksucker! and we'll close out with this one from maddie and mr w what did you do mr w something very expensive yeah okay uh in two weeks we will return for episode seven the title of which is eb was left out Ooh, he's always left out eb was left out predictions matt there's only enough cans of peaches to go around uh, for everybody but one person, and sorry, <laughs> sorry, B, no peaches for you. Oh, but more likely there will be some sort of big deal that goes down, and oh, maybe they get the bank going, and EB is not allowed to invest. <laughs> <laughs> your, your money's no good here. It's all moist. <laughs> I'm going to predict a uh, an episode that's entirely from the perspective of E.B., but he doesn't get to see what's happening. It'll be kind of like the Zeppo from mm-hmm. Buffy. That would be cool. He's off having his own adventures because he's left out of the actual plot. That's my prediction. Uh, Mel. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, oh, wait. We're <laughs> that's not very helpful, <laughs> Melanie. Predictions. Um, hmm. What's going to happen to that horse? Well, somebody's going to have to wash that leg off. <laughs> I don't know who's going to do it. 
Maybe they'll make Steve do it. Maybe there will be a group of people that will gang up and say, Steve, how dare you fuck this horse? Go over there and wash that horse out. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Carol? Um, I love your idea of the thing from EB's perspective and, and stuff, but um, there's an old saying has to do with um, if somebody has two girlfriends, pretty soon they have no girlfriends. Um, I think EB has been playing both sides to the middle enough that no side, every side knows they can't trust him, so he just gets left out. EB's going to be friendless, you mean? No, it's going to be deals going down, and he's going to be odd man out, and he's not going to get to join in any of the deals because nobody can trust him. Do you think even Richardson will leave him? It's going to be all alone. No, Richardson won't, but Richardson isn't making any deals. So No, but I mean, he's going to be friendless. EP <laughs> is already friendless. That's truly friendless. <laughs> okay. And for our miscellaneous prediction, I want you guys to predict how many different characters wearing hats are going to have a line of dialogue, at least a line of dialogue. Who wears hats? E.B. wears hats sometimes. Joni, Ellsworth. 20. Seth. Seth. This, of course, can include minor characters as long as they say something. Wait. They're wearing a hat. Even if there's mumblings in the background? Well, we have to, I mean, it has to be, like, in the transcript, like it's, or subtitled, or not, just a... What if it says in the transcript, crowd noise? No. <laughs> no, that doesn't count. So is it words or, or, or lines? But if, a, but if a man says, how do you do, and he's wearing a hat, it counts. If he's not wearing a hat, it doesn't count. What if someone grunts? <laughs> what, if say, what if they say, fie? <laughs> That counts. Oh. I guess five counts. <laughs> um, Twenty. Is, is it words five. or words or lines? If they speak wearing a hat. Twenty-five. Is it individual words or lines? You're not counting the words. You're counting the characters. Oh, characters, characters. Okay. Twenty-five. Uh, twenty-five. Uh, That's a lot of characters, Mel. And are there twenty-five characters on this show? And not all of them wear hats. I don't know. I don't know how to count. <laughs> okay. That's okay. That explains a lot too. That's not good. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that I can go to Deadwood Night School so they can teach me. Okay. <laughs> Lucky number seven. Right. <laughs> Lucky number seven. Right. Lucky number seven. <laughs> Why are you talking like that? I don't know. Stop talking like that. Okay. <laughs> Carol? I count six characters that normally wear hats. I'm probably forgetting somebody. I'll go with six. Six. All right. I'm probably going to be way off. Or way right. <laughs> Whatever, man. I don't care. Unless there's like, uh, I don't know, some sort of hat society that walks in. <laughs> <laughs> That's my prediction. Some sort of hat society walks into Deadwood. Ambulatory hat <laughs> Ambulatory society. hat society. And EB tries to join. And they're like, no, <laughs> you're not allowed. So he's left out. <laughs> but he has a hat. He wore a hat this episode. His hat is too shitty. It's got to be a fresh new hat. He's got secondhand hat. Nope, you're not allowed. To make my prediction <laughs> work, both Jane and the general and bunches of other people are all going to have to be have lines in this thing. 
Uh, Stephanie, thank you for joining us. It was a blast. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any other podcasts you'd like to promote? Uh, well, Potential Cast is ending. Redemption Cast is starting back up. iZombie is starting back up. We've kind of kept going over the summer, but just sparsely. But, um, yeah, iZombie's a lot of fun. iZombie podcast with Robin and Steph. Very good. Yeah, here's a hypothetical for you, Stephanie. Okay. Let's say you had the time to start another podcast about a TV show. What would be a TV show you'd want to do a podcast about? Uh, I can't think of anything. I don't know. I can't, I think, I I feel like I've covered it all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'd like to do Northern Exposure, but it's just not available. People don't have access to it. Yeah, that's too bad that they they can't make that streaming somewhere. Yeah, I bought the DVDs, but uh, they just aren't available on Netflix or Amazon. At least not the last time I checked. Probably a music rights issue. That seems to be the the hang up for a lot of a lot yeah. of shows. Yeah. And and you asking me that after I finished a seven season show <laughs> over the course of five years and four months, <laughs> I can't really seem to muster up any excitement for anything right now. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, you still got. Redemption cast to go too. Yeah, yeah. When when do you guys start uh, recording Redemption cast again? Probably in a couple of weeks. Okay. This week we will do our series wrap up of Buffy. End of an era. Yeah. Yep. Well, we will see you in two weeks for episode nineteen. Eb was left out. Until then, you can find us on. Uh, on Facebook, search for Hooplecast. Twitter, at Hooplecast, or Hooplecast.com. Go on iTunes, leave a five-star review. Send emails to Hooplecast at gmail.com. But until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. Go fuck yourself. Fuck you! I did not fuck that horse. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. That should be your new catchphrase every episode. I did not fuck that horse. I did not fuck that horse. <laughs> I did not do it. <laughs> do not blame me for that. Now Carol has to find a catchphrase, too. I don't want my catchphrase to be, I did not fuck that horse. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Now you're stuck with it now. People need to know that you didn't do it. Well, I would would really just hope that they would know that I would not have done that. (laughs) They just assume that you're not a horse fucker. I would, that would be a great I assumption ne- for people to I have. I never assume anything. <laughs> no. You know what yeah. they say about assuming it makes an ass out of you and me. Yeah. Oh, did you fuck an ass? <laughs> uh, the animal. The animal.
Some pleasure we will see. Well, she jumped up behind him, and away they did go. She jumped up behind him, and away they did go. Is it possible for you to put your mouse farther away from your mic? Because I think you're clicking. All right. He clicks all the time. Uh, yeah. Which I mean, and it's just my own personal preference that I don't like to hear the little clicks on the, on the playback. So I've been removing them, and it's become a oh. tedious, time-consuming <laughs> thing. Well, you should have said something earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at telling people, you know, asking people to change their behavior and stuff. <laughs> All he does, like, the whole time, he just browses the internet. Yeah. It drives, it drives me bonkers, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... Because I'm trying it's... to focus on the show, and then he... Like, he's reading all these articles, and then I end up reading them, and then not listening to what people are saying. Well, I'm you just... should have said something But earlier. I'm very visual. <laughs> I'm really visual. Like, and so, like, when when you post the... um. The readers' theater stuff. I like to read it along, and Matt's just browsing the internet. And I'm like, go back to it. I want to read. But you're listening. <laughs> no, I can't hear it. I have to read it too. Fine. That's why I put subtitles on things half the time. Mm. <laughs> so that's what's been going on all this time. <laughs> it's just, just like trouble brewing, like mm. beneath the surface. <laughs> nice to know we have your full attention. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is a long show. It is, and that's fine that you're browsing. I don't care, but I'd, if you could just minimize the the little noises, that's great. Because I I, I don't know. It's, I have a hang up about little sounds on the stuff on the podcast. I want it to sound as good as possible, so I try and take those things out, and it just adds like so much extra time having to take them out into indiv- little individual <laughs> clicks and stuff. Especially when you're talking and you're and you're clicking, then I can't take them out anyway. It's just I didn't know showing up. How dare you demand perfection, Matt? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Is Carol not back yet? No. Oh my god. <clears throat> Let me <clears throat> change positions now. I feel like I, since you're going to edit this out, I feel like I can move. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you can grunt and snort as this much as you want gonna right be, now. <laughs> this part's going to be edited out. We can do whatever we want. Total freedom! Fast time! <laughs> <laughs> splashy, splashy. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have like a podcast station set up next to like a jacuzzi tub <laughs> hello all hi carol carol what's going on uh, i don't know i just rebooted and hopefully i won't keep just i don't know it says that i've got an internet connection but for some reason skype keeps crashing when skype goes down does the rest of it go down no, just Skype. Hmm. Skype doesn't like you. Uh, no, it doesn't seem to like me. I'm getting. I'm beginning to take it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so what did I miss? Well, we're talking about Trixie and Ellsworth. Yeah. Dude, that's the sound of a bell. 